Hello! Welcome, Welcome back to part two of Word. Word. Going through Jeanette McCurdy's book of I'm Glad My, my, my Mom, Mom Died. Um, Me too, girl. Me too. Honestly, for the best. Truly. Um, um, yeah. So as you may have heard, at the end of part one, we did go ahead and let you know that we were going to make this a two-parter. And we did not decide this to actually go in initially, but as we were recording the first episode, we were like, ooh. There's so much to go into. We are only two thirds of the way through and we're already at an Almost hour. two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, we're like, we should probably just split this one. And that way we also have more content for y'all. And I know also, that you're banging at our doors asking, Shay, Sid, where's our contact? Where are you? Where is our content? Where's, content? Our, where's our episodes? We, we don't know. I've already been accosted once by my mother <laughs> for another episode. And it's a little sneaky little way to get you to come back for <laughs> part two. Yeah, buddy. Because it, it just continues to be... A lot. A downhill slope. Until the very end. Thanks. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, so we are excited to have you back. And we hope you little wordy birdies um enjoy this part two. So, the fateful day comes, and it's um, Jeanette's mom's funeral, mm-hmm. and she is doing everything that she likes the best. Her mom, uh, meaning um, they're also the things that she happens to like the least, like hot curling her hair, overlining a bold red lip, and scraping eyeliner across my sensitive tear ducts. Um, and a lot of people show up, um, and it seems that the some of the family members or people are just like all about show rather than the fact that it's an actual funeral like grandma screaming there aren't enough cold cuts we underestimated the turnout and it's like your daughter passed away um but now it's Jeanette's turn to come up and sing you know wind beneath my wings um like her mom wanted her to Mm -hmm. just pure acapella because she didn't give the pianist the sheet music right um, and she gets up there and just starts crying, like a Wailing, guttural, sobbing. deep, yeah, just like mournful cry. Mm-hmm. And she's just crying up there. And the bishop comes up and taps her on the shoulder and says, we only have the chapel for another 15 minutes. We have to prep for John Trader's baptism. And she walks off stage and doesn't sing. Uh. And... That sounds about right for her mom's funeral. Yeah. That sounds, yeah. Honestly, this is going to sound so petty, but I'm kind of glad that she didn't give her mom that. That she didn't wasn't sing. Well, she kept telling her mom, like, I cannot hit these notes. Right. Like, it wasn't in her range. And she's like, no, you just have to practice. You can do it. So yeah. I'm kind of glad that she didn't give her mom that. Like, her mom didn't end up having that last bit of control over her. Yeah. Well, she still has plenty of control. I mean, yeah, but like she didn't get, she didn't win this one. At yeah, least. she did. There's one battle she didn't win. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so next chapter opens. Thanks for being such a good sport. Our assistant direction or assistant director tells me with a pitying, appreciative glance. Uh huh. I say monotonously while two children bounce on me as we get ready to rehearse the scene for the seventh time so the kids can get their marks right. 
I've seen the creator fire children for little for little reasons, like if they lose a line or don't hit their mark. So in rehearsal days like today, our directors like to be extra sure the kids know what they're doing so they don't lose their jobs. I hear that phrase a lot these days. Thanks for being such a good sport. I hear it on a daily basis, not only from our assistant director, but from my managers every time I'm on the film with them, from a writer, producer, at least once a week. Even from a network executive who sent me a $500 gift card to Barney's with that very phrase inscribed on the attached note. I know why I'm hearing this phrase so often. It's because my co-star, Ariana Grande, is a burgeoning pop star who misses work regularly to go sing at award shows, record new songs, and do press for her upcoming album while I stay back and angrily hold down the fort. I understand, on a service level, why she has to miss work. But at the same time, I don't understand why she's allowed to. I booked two features during iCarly that I had to turn down because the iCarly team wouldn't write me out with episodes to go shoot them. And, and so... With this, it's not like they have been telling her like, oh, we can't write you out of scenes, right? This is the Sam and Kat show. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, then this week happened. The week where I was told Ariana would not be here at all and that they would write around her absence this episode by having her character be locked in a box. Which, locked in a box. And she says, are, are you, you period. kidding me? <laughs> kidding me, period. Um, and she was like, I, you know, so when I was called one, meaning, you know, a good sport, I knew I was doing something right. Yep, I'm a good sport. I'm a good egg. I'm the good one. The one who's not difficult. The teacher's pet. But now, I'm over it. I've become a bitter person. Not better. A bitter person. Mm -hmm. And I'm resigned to that fact. I can't change my circumstances, so why try to change who I've become as a result of them? I'm done being a good sport. I resent being a good sport. If I wasn't such a good sport to begin with, I wouldn't be in this predicament in the first place. And so... You know, again, she's, especially since her mom is no longer there, she's like, I hate this person I've become, but that's, you know, that's life. Like, I have always been such a good sport that that's gotten her to this place where she is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's like, you know, I fantasize about being different, right? She said, but it's not different. It's this. This is what it is. Ariana misses work in pursuit of her music career where I act with a box. I'm pissed about it. I'm pissed at her, jealous of her for a few reasons. Um, and she talks about how, you know, she had a much easier upbringing than than Jeanette did, Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. You know, she grew up in Boca Raton in Florida with an incredibly wealthy, wealthy, idyllic town with a healthy mom who could buy her whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, Gucci bags, fancy vacations, Chanel outfits. I don't even want Chanel outfits. I don't like the way the fabric looks. And yet I'm jealous that she had them. Secondly... If you remember back mm-hmm. last episode, where the creator said, you're going to get your own show, just puck it, right? Isn't that such a funny name it for a show? Be, it was going to be about, a, it was going to be the harrowing tale of a brassy juvenile delinquent turned school counselor. I would watch that. That, that sounds, sounds interesting. Great. Sam and Cat sucked. I hated that show. I never watched it. It's, don't. It's not good. And so she says, now it's some half-baked two-hander Sam and Cat about a brassy juvenile delinquent who, with her very ditzy best friend, Starts a babysitting company called Salmon Cat Super Rock and Fun Time Babysitting Sitting Service. This is not harrowing. So it just sounds so contrived. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just like it's just it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you know first reason is that Ariana Grande had a lot easier of an upbringing. Not that she did, like mm-hmm. doesn't mean that she doesn't have any struggles. Right. Just is a, it was in a more privileged place. Yeah. She, and yeah. Which is a fairly low bar to clear, honestly, yeah. at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is. Um, and then secondly, you know, she didn't get the show that she was supposed to. Like, her show. Again, she doesn't really like doesn't really like acting, but she thought, like, you know, she was going to get this show. She was going to be okay with it, right? Right. Exactly. And then thirdly, it's is that, that... Ariel is, honestly, at this point, more successful in her career than she is. So successful in the way that she has given things that Ariana could... I mean, that Jeanette was never able to. She was given except, um, exceptions. When she tried to pursue other ventures, they told her no. Jeanette, no, like you can't, we can't write you out. But with this, you know, Ariana is at the, at the stage of her career where she's popping up on every 30 under 30 list that exists. I'm at the stage of my career um, where my team is excited that I'm the new face of Rebecca Bon Bon, a tween clothing line featuring a cat with her tongue sticking out, sold exclusively at Walmart. And I frequently make the mistake of comparing my career to Ariana's. I can't help it. I'm constantly in the same environment as her, and she doesn't exactly try to hide her successes. Um, so now she's like, I'm, I mean, again, she's like, I'm so tired of being right. this good sport. It hasn't gotten me anywhere. It's gotten me to literally nothing. And like the straw that kind of broke the camel's back for her is when Ariana, she said, but what finally undid me was when Ariana came whistle-tuning in with excitement because she had spent the previous evening playing charades at Tom Hanks' house. That was the moment I broke. I couldn't take it anymore. Music performances and magazine covers, whatever. I'll get over it. But playing a family game at National Treasure, two-time award-winning and six-time nominee Tom Hanks' house? I'm done. First of all, why was she playing charades and who was there? <laughs> at a grown man's house when she's a child and or 18. Yeah. Secondly... That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it does. <laughs> From that moment on, Jeanette says, I didn't like her. I couldn't like her. Pop star success I could handle, but hanging out with Sheriff Woody before his fucking gump, this has gone too far. Too far. So now, every time she misses work, it feels like a personal attack. Every time something exciting happens to her, I feel like she robbed me of having the experience myself. And every time someone calls me a good sport, all I feel is how much I don't want to be one. Fuck being a good sport. I'd rather be playing charades with Tom Hanks. Same. I mean, same. <laughs> I also agree. Um, it's understandable, right? Like, why she's having this kind of jealousy, why she's resentful of Ariana Grande in this context. Um, and then... And it doesn't seem to be, like, personal. It's just... It's like, she she's not wanting to... She's like, she doesn't think that this this is a personal attack. Mm-hmm. from ariana grande it's kind of like she just she feels that like she has everything that she wants so mm-hmm. she's kind of putting like placing her insecurities or placing her like upset you know her her feelings onto it's kind of like and i don't know if anyone else experiences but like when you've kind of first graduate college and for me i um wasn't sure what i wanted to do next and, you know i was just kind of looking for a job to kind of buy my time so Hashtag i could covid yep um yeah but like I would see on Instagram, like people I went to school with who graduated at the same time as I were, I did, like having all these opportunities and they weren't things that I would want necessarily. Like I knew one person who like went to like a marketing gig and was like doing that. And I wasn't, I didn't want to do marketing, but like I was still so jealous of her that like she had advanced while I had it. Yeah. And like that kind of feeling of being stuck while like people around you are just like going out and living their lives and having what seems to be a great time. Yeah. Like. I get it. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense, but it's still just like, I mean, it's human nature to compare yourself. I know she's like, I don't know why I'm comparing myself. 
but it's just it's what we do exactly and especially like if you're seeing someone every day and you're like on a show with them it's kind of hard to avoid that, that yeah. comparison trap mm-hmm. um and then this next chapter um is pretty dark in the mm-hmm. way of again this is dark humor you know she doesn't really she doesn't really address it in a very dark way but this is a this is rape yeah is what happens mm-hmm. um she goes out for her 21st birthday uh, or for her friend emmy's 21st birthday and they're drinking there's colton and liam and she thinks liam's kind of cute um kind of wants to see like if, we, if, they, if they can kiss at the end of the night or something something like that mm-hmm. um and there's a nut then so emmy she sees Emmy watching Liam out of the corner of her eye. I hate when females are so obvious with their crushes. If you're obvious, some other little bitch can come along and exploit that crush. Use it against you. Betray you with it. I've learned this from mom's long-winded speech about trusting women even less than men. Men, they'll hurt you without ever really knowing you, she often told me. But women? Women will know you deeply, intimately, and then hurt you. You tell me which is worse. First of all, that is kind of true. But also... That's and, not that's not a belief you should really instill into your child. Yeah. And then it keeps going too where she says, And so I don't trust women. I just observe them. I watch them act desperate and weak and pathetic. It's so embarrassing to be a woman. I say women like Emmy so I can be different from them, better than them. And I kinda write in my margins like internalized misogyny, because mm-hmm. that's what this that is, right? I'm not like most girls. I'm not like other girls, yeah. you know. Like I am different from them. M- women, they are they act desperate and weak and pathetic. And it's just like, whoa, okay, slow down there, girl. Like, I mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that you're kind of conditioned in this belief, but, you know, that isn't. Yeah, and I bet it's, you know, obviously, I think it's something that she's probably I'm sure that she's worked through it now, from. yeah. But. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's when you're told from your mom and your mom is your everything. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll completely believe whatever she has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're at and, the party and Jeanette's drinking a lot at this party drinking too. a lot a lot a lot and, and we get more into her drinking later in the book but yeah some alcoholism definitely mm-hmm. um and it says two hours later we're back at my place liam dropped colton off on the way home so it's just the two of us um she says what? liam throws me onto the bed and takes off my copper dress i'm dizzy the room is spinning i'm wasted i'm confused where the fuck am i What's happening? I finally ask. I'm having sex with you, Liam says, in a tone that nauseates me. It's halfway to a baby voice, the same inflection as what a baby voice would do, without jumping an octave. I kind of want to stop. This is not at all how I intended to lose my virginity. Never expected it would happen tonight. I thought tonight would be all about that that magical first kiss, and the virginity thing could just be done in a week or two. I thought I'd have to mentally and emotionally prepare. But I also kind of want to keep going. Who cares about the rituals and preparation? If anything, I'm relieved to be game of virginity over with. Fuck it. I say nothing. I squint my eyes to try and ground myself in some way so I can see straight. Finally, I do. Liam's holding my hips and he pump- as he pumps into me repeatedly. A bead of sweat is trickling down his forehead. Gross. Yeah, that is pretty gross. I will agree. I agree. Um, um, also, obviously, this is not consent. She mm-hmm. is... Regardless of her saying, but I also kind of want to keep going. Who cares about the ritual? Mm-hmm. If anything, that is her trying to rationalize it. Yeah. Um, she is wasted. She said that she is completely intoxicated. And you cannot, if you are not of sound mind, 
mm-hmm. you cannot consent. I don't care what you say. Like, she doesn't even know, like, where she was. Like, it, it doesn't even say, Liam like, yeah, what, takes off what her room. dress, and she doesn't know where she is when that happens. So, it just says, like, two hours later, he drops Colton off on the way home. Mm-hmm. It's just the two of us. Liam throws me under the bed. She has no clue where she is. Um, and so, she says... Um, that he looks me deep in the eyes and smiles at me. Says that last night was amazing. I lie to him by agreeing. I figured I'll come up with a plan to ditch him later when I'm de- when I'm alone. He tries to hug me more, but I t- tell him I really have to pee. I jump up to go to the bathroom and suddenly realize how incredibly sore I am. Walking hurts, so I waddle instead. I get to the bathroom and pull down my underwear to pee. There's some blood on it. I know it's not my period. I haven't gotten it for years because of my various eating disorders. It must be, it must just be from having sex for the first time. Ping stings and burns, so I do it in little spurts, as if prolonging the pain will make it hurt any less. It doesn't. Finally, I'm done. And she tells him, or he, you know, he's like, oh, knock, 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 are you all right in there? I tell him not feeling well, he leaves. Um, and so she postmates herself some breakfast. I'm assuming they're at her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they because say he earlier. Leaves. Um, two hours later, we're back at my place. Oh, 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 oh. It helps if you read, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says she gets eggs, bacon, and toast, and potatoes, and a latte with whipped cream. I eat rapidly, desperately, until I'm halfway through. I can stop here. I'm full. I don't have to keep going. I can interrupt the cycle. I chuck the takeout box in the trash can. In the trash. Overwhelm floods my whole body. I rush to the bathroom, lift the toilet lid, and purge my breakfast. I wash up. Usually I'm depleted by this point, but this time I'm not. I'm still filled with pent-up anxieties. I need to get rid of these fucking feelings. I run back to the trash can, pull out the takeout box. I stuff my mouth with eggs and chew rapidly. Fuck. What am I doing? I need to stop. I need to stop. I spit out the half-chewed eggs into the trash. I grab a perfume bottle from the bathroom and squirt some on the remaining food to guarantee that I won't eat any more of it. But then I eat more of it. The perfume makes me gag. I throw up. And it's just like... One thing after the next, after the next, mm-hmm. like she has is being put through hell. Yeah. Um, and I will say, too, eating disorders, they are at their core maladaptive coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're ways of establishing control, um, establishing some sort of comfort in tumultuous times after a traumatic event, etc. So I think... My kind of pop psychology interpretation of this as well, obviously she is bulimic and does have the same disorder, but I think that this, um, the sexual assault, I think also acted as a trigger. You know, she's talking about how she has all these anxieties that she's trying to address through the binging and purging, Mm -hmm. um, which is what she does. You know, she, she tries to comfort herself to try and regain control over the situation which obviously with sexual assault there is a characteristic lack of control within that um and she does so through eating disorder behaviors Mm -hmm. and then in the next chapter we get more into her eating disorders as well um starts off with saying you're looking great you're really starting to blossom you've never looked better but i'd stop where you are anymore and you'll any morning you'll start to look bad then. Your body looks outstanding. These are all common and spoken to me over the past few weeks by producers, agents, and crew members that I work with. I've gotten more positive and creepy mm-hmm. comments on my body over these past few weeks than I have ever before. 
I've heard decades worth of eating disorder experience at this point. There are the anorexic years, the binge eating ones, and the current bulimic ones. The more experience I've got, the more I recognize that the body is hardly a reliable reflection of what's going on inside of it. My body has fluctuated frequently and drastically throughout this decade, and no matter how it's fluctuated, no matter whether my body is a kid size 10 slim or an adult size 6, I've had an issue underneath it. People don't seem to get that unless they have a history with eating disorders. People seem to assign thin with good, heavy with bad, and too thin also with bad. There's such a small window of good. It's a window that I currently fall into, even though my habits are so far from good. I'm abusing my body every day. I'm miserable. I'm depleted. And yet the compliments keep pouring in. So this kind of dynamic, I think, between people commenting on your body and having this eating disorder is so complex and just awful to go through. Um, you know, the kind of the, the flavor of it I'm more familiar with is like, and I see, I, I think you see a lot too, is when people are recovering from having a restrictive eating disorder, especially if they've lost a fair amount of weight, um, due to that eating disorder and they start to weight restore, which is basically just a fancy, you know, psychology way of saying their body is returning to a healthy weight mm-hmm. and people will sometimes, you know, unknowingly and in a way that they think is helpful comment and be like oh you're like you look so much healthier like oh you look so good or like oh it's so good to see you eating again or like make compliments about someone's appearance in relation to the eating disorder and recovering from the eating disorder but the thing is that people with eating disorders they do not take it that way Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's not like a obviously not to say that people with eating disorders are irrational, but eating disorder brain is. It is irrational. It takes that compliment or what the person intended to be a compliment and turns it around and says, oh, you're gaining weight. You're getting fat. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously, fat is not a bad thing, but your eating disorder brain does not give a fuck. And like, we'll no. tell you that anyway. Um, and I think what's really important too about what Jeanette's saying is that the body is hardly a reliable reflection of what's going on inside of it. You know, people will see you and like some eating disorders or disordered eating behaviors will go under the radar for a long time because, you know, maybe you haven't gotten to a weight that is too thin to be bad. You You're know? still in a quote unquote socially acceptable kind of size exactly. or like the preferred size. Right. Even though, like she says, you know, I'm in that good thin right now, but mm-hmm. I am destroying my body. Yeah. Or like maybe someone dusts her off heavier and like they lose weight and people like through very unhealthy eating disorder behaviors and people comment on me like, oh my God, you look so good. Or like, oh my God, wow, how would you do it? And like that just reinforces the eating disorder. Yeah. Um, and the your brain's thought of like, oh, what I'm doing is not only good, but also necessary. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I guess moral of the story, maybe just don't comment on other people's bodies. Like, like I would I'm, much rather you ask me how the weather is every time you see me mm-hmm. than be like, oh my god, you look so good. Like, there are Tell things... me I look pretty. Yeah, exactly. Tell me my makeup looks great. Exactly. Tell, Tell me, me that I my hair a... looks good. I got good clothes. I like shoes. Yeah. Yes. Like, there are so many things to comment on someone's... Hell, even if you want to comment on their appearance, sure. You can do so without talking about their body. Yeah. Like, you don't know what's going on in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. You can't know that. No. You're not omniscient. Um, And, again, you get some more kind of, in like, 
insight on her and how she views um, her different eating disorders. So like in this one, she says like, the truth is I wish I had anorexia, not bulimia. I'm pining for anorexia. I've grown humiliated by bulimia, which I used to think of as a best of both worlds. Eat what you want, throw it all up, stay thin. But now it doesn't feel like the best of both worlds. It feels terrible. I'm filled up with so much shame and anxiety every time after I eat. I literally don't know what to do to make myself feel better except throw up. And after I'm done, I have to. Half of me feels depleted, exhausted, like there's nothing left, which is helpful. The other half of me now has a splitting headache, a sore throat, and vomiting sliding down my arms and tangled in my hair, and even more shame on top of the initial shame since I've, since now I've not only eaten, but thrown up too. Bulimia is not the answer. Anorexia is. Anorexia is regal, in control, all-powerful. Bulimia is out of control, chaotic, pathetic. Poor man's anorexia. I have friends with anorexia, and I can tell they pity me. I know they don't. I know they know because anyone with an eating disorder can tell when anyone else has an eating disorder. Mm. It's like a secret code that you can't help but pick up on. And so she is talking about like it's like people. It's like when people compare traumas. Yeah. Um, she's like, oh, like this one sucks, but like I wish I had like this trauma instead, or mm-hmm. you know, this eating disorder. You know, I wish I had that one instead. Right. Um, it's also like a grass is always green on the other side kind of thing yeah. too. Because here's the thing about anorexia. Your brain tricks you into thinking that you are in control, but you're not. No. The eating disorder is. Yeah. You're just not eating. <laughs> it's like you're not. It's like it's not control. It's restraint. But it's still. It's restriction. It's still like not you being in control, regardless right. of how much restraint that you have. If you can't, you know, go to a friend's birthday party and like just have a good time and, you know, just enjoy the food there and the people there and like. I mean, eating is a communal activity. Yeah. Like, it's a social activity. Like, the way that we call it. But if you can't do that without, like, thinking about, oh, I can't eat this or I can't eat that or, like, just having so much anxiety and preoccupation, devoting so much mental energy to the food around you and what you can and can't do, that's not you being in control. Mm -mm. That's you being controlled. Yeah. Like you said, like, food is this community thing. Like, what we say, like, at church is, like, community, like, you know, it's covenant you know you're making memories and you're making friends and you're making Mm -hmm. you know connections relationships when you eat around the table with somebody right um so it's really important um but then now um continuing on like you see kind of probably where Jeanette's mom kind of got it from um -hmm. because her grandma keeps calling her and she's always really, you know, worried because, like, when her grandma calls her, she worries that, like, something's happened to her grandpa or something. And she says, um, you know, I don't want to just block her because she's daughterless now. You know, I don't want to just do that to her. Mm-hmm. And she texts her grandma and it's like, I'll call you in a minute. And she puts her phone in her pocket. She calls again. I want to throw my phone. Instead, I answer it, leaving a hint of irritation in my delivery so grandma can tell I'm annoyed. Grandma, can I call you when I'm home? I'm getting groceries. She's wailing. She says something, but it's indiscernible through the wails. I'm concerned. I ask if everything's all right. She keeps wailing. I ask again. You, you, you never call me. She finally gets out. Every time she calls wailing, I assume it's because Grandpa died. His health is rapidly rapidly declining. I know she knows I jumped to this conclusion because I told her before. Um, I tell her sternly that I'll call her back when I get home and then hang up and it starts ringing again. 
And she hangs up and grandma calls again. And she's like, I give up. I leave my grocery cart where it is because she's at Whole Foods um, and had all the store. And, you know, she gets in her Mini Cooper and as she begins to turn on the engine, my windshield wipers, she starts calling again. It's hooked up to the hooked up to Bluetooth. So her voice blares through the speaker. She's still wailing. Grandma, I say evenly, trying to calm her down. She's hysterical. She blubbers through some speech about me hanging up on her. I pull out of the parking lot and take a right, heading down to the main street that leads to my house. My home. Grandma, I say again, as evenly as I can through my face, though my face is growing hot with anger. I was getting groceries. We're on the phone now. Why'd you call me? Her tears turn to venom immediately. No need to get nasty with me, bitch. My grandma frequently refers to me as bitch. She always throws a little extra salt on the word too for effect. Grandma, like I've said before, if you keep calling me names and guilting me every time we get on the phone, I'm going to block you. Don't threaten me, little girl. I'm not threatening you. I'm telling you a fact. I'm telling you a fact. Grandma repeats, mocking my voice. All my other grandkids call me way more than you do, Grandma complains. How are you? How do you think I am, huh? Did you hear anything I just said? You don't treat me well. Your mother must be rolling in her grave. Also, can I just say, I mean, obviously there's so much to say about this, but like random aside that tickled my brain. I would much rather be called a bitch than a little girl. Yeah. Like, there was something, like, so deeply condescending, patronizing, just, like, nasty about calling someone else, like, especially an adult woman, a Mm -hmm. little girl. Ooh, that shit will get me heated. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. She, Jeanette goes on to say, I wish I could just roll my eyes at the last, this last thing she says. Just write her off as an old batshit woman. But she's an old batshit woman. She is. I mean. My mom stuff is my soft spot. The spot that can't be breached. I won't allow mom to be used against me. And if she is, I take desperate measures. Okay, grandma, I'm hanging up and I'm going to block you. Don't you dare. Your mother will weep tears up in heaven. She always fucking does that. If she knows something hits me in a deep way, if she knows it hurts, she shoves the knife deeper and twists it around. How can a grandmother want to cause her grandchild pain? I know she's had a hard life. I know she's sad and desperate for attention. And I know she's hurt by my coldness towards her, but still, I do not think there are any excuses for her behavior. Bye. I hang up the phone. She calls repeatedly. I pull over, swipe my phone open, and push block. It feels good. It feels right. A surge of buildup stress leaves my body. I can breathe normally again. So it's like I her mom died, and then her grandma yeah took and took this took like right where she left off and we kind of talked about this a little bit last episode of like her grandma has always kind of been a lot like her mom and probably where her mom got a lot of those behaviors from yes um but i think you really see it now that the mom's no longer there like how the grandmother's behavior is so toxic so abusive um and i'm glad that she blocked her and i i think it's a good step for her too i mean obviously things still get rough but it is a step in the right direction i would say yeah So then after this, um, Jeanette gets a call, or she's on the phone with her, with three of her agents, two of her two managers, and her two attorneys. And she is told um, that they are canceling the show, uh, Sam and Kat. And she said, wait, they're canceling the show? I say unable to hide my glee. Yep, we knew you'd be excited. 
best part is they're offering you three hundred thousand um, dollars. And then she's like, "Why?" And they're like, "Well, think of it like a thank you gift, uh, <laughs> maybe." <laughs> what a way to phrase it. Well, you know, like he said it real quick. She yeah. words it out in one mush together phrase. She mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, thank you gift." Manager one repeats, "They're giving you three hundred thousand dollars, and the only thing you have you want to they want you to do is to." Never talk publicly about your experience at Nickelodeon, specifically related to the creator. No, I say immediately and instinctively, a long pause. No, Agent 3 finally asks. Hell no. It's free money, Manager 1 offers. No, it's not. This isn't free money. This feels to me like hush money. A strained silence. One of them clears their throat. Which it is. <laughs> Through the years, I've slowly learned that the inter- entertainment business is one where the, what's being said is really what's being talked about. This way of operating not only disagrees with me, but seems genuinely impossible for me to adapt to. Everyone else seems to be ex- so able to position things discreetly and choreograph their phrasing so that the heartbeat of what's being said is delicately danced around. But, but what winds up happening is that I usually just don't understand what's being talked about and have to ask outright. There are occasional times, however, where I do get exactly what's happening, like this time, right now. Mm-hmm. And these instances, instead of asking outright what's going on, I'll just say it. The results vary. Sometimes it's laughter, sometimes it's discomfort. This time, it's discomfort. Well, I, I wouldn't think of it that way if I were you, manager one says with a nervous laugh. That's what it is, though. I'm not taking hush money. Well, um, okay, if you're sure. Click. Hangs up the phone. Click, click, click. Click, click, click. Yeah. And she's like, Nickelodeon has offered me $300,000 in hush money to not talk publicly about my experience experience on the show, my personal experience of the creator's abuse. This is a network show that's made for, which network with shows made for children. Shouldn't they have some sort of moral compass? No. Shouldn't they at least try to report, try to report to some sort of ethical standard? Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, child labor. Yeah. That's what we love. And then she's like, shit, $300,000. I just turned that down. I maybe I should have taken it. Yeah. But I'm but glad she, she doesn't because that's how we got this book. And she, yeah, we wouldn't have had this book if she did. Um, and then her manager tell, tells her that the show was canceled because of sexual harassment claims against one of our producer. Uh, whatever. They've got to blame somebody. So they've chosen me and there's nothing I can do with it. Because they're That's saying what that. Says. Huh? That's what Jeanette says. Yeah. She's saying like it was because of sexual, sexual harassment, harassment claim against one of our producers. So she's saying like there's the story that has been told is that she was the reason. Mm-hmm. Um for or they're saying that um also there's a story that she was upset because her co-star was getting yes. paid more than her mm-hmm. and uh, while she's not true yeah and while she did present ariana like that what is it ariana or ariana i always say ariana grande that's what i thought too i don't know um anyway but because she they're saying like although she did have some resentment for ariana like that wasn't why the show got canceled no, 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 but no, okay no. one because it was garbage mm-hmm and two, because some some sexual harassment type stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, honestly very much okay with this. She says, um, you know, it doesn't help that I'm famous for a thing I started when I was a kid. I think of what it'd be like if everyone was famous for a thing they did when they were 13. Their middle, their middle school band, their 7th grade science project, their 8th grade play. The middle school years are the years to stumble, fall, and tuck under the rug as soon as you're done with them because you've already outgrown them by the time they were 15. But not for me. 
I'm someone in people's minds as the person I was when I was a kid, a person I feel like I've far outgrown. But the world won't let me outgrow it. The world won't let me be anyone else. The world only wants me to be Sam Puckett. I'm weird enough to know how fucking annoying and whiny this all sounds. Millions of people dream of being famous, and here I am with fame and hating it. I somehow feel entitled, entitled to my hatred since I was not the one who dreamed of being famous. Mom was. Mom pushed this on me. I'm allowed to hate someone else's dream, even if it is my reality. And I wouldn't say that you're, like, you are entitled. Like, yeah. you are definitely entitled to feel the hatred of fame. One, like you said, because it was your mom that forced you onto it. But even if you wanted it, we have been taught that fame is so desirable that you want it. That right. you don't really get told of, like, the downsides of it. Exactly. And it's like, and you can have it's... everything and still hate what you have. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, feel upset for right. where you are. And, I mean... Even if she was the one who wanted this and was the one who actively pursued it, like she said, she was 13 when this when this show started. Yeah, she's so been like since she was like what six? <laughs> exactly. Like you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to realize, hey, this actually isn't what I want to be doing with my life. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to to realize what's actually like, and then say, actually, this isn't for me. I want to try something different. Mm-hmm. Like I saw, um, what um, Jennifer Stone, who was Harper in. Was the Waverly Place. Yep. Like, when she got done with that show, she went on to become a nurse. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Now they have a... Now her and the... I, Dave... I can't remember his name. Dave but, Russo? Is that his actual name, though? That's a good point. I actually... The dad in Wizards yeah. of Waverly Place, they have a podcast called Wizards of Waverly Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they talk about, you know, different things about the aspects of the show. But, she, but yeah, she was a nurse. Like, she was able to... Do this gig, you know, be be Harper in this, mm-hmm. and then was able to change her career path and go right. on to do something that she really wanted to do. Exactly. Um, but now we get to Jeanette's 21st birthday party. Yep. And, I mean, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about... You're, you are not in control when you have an eating disorder. Your eating disorder is in control of you. Mm-hmm. Um, where one of her friends, she's been drinking a lot during this party, but one of her friends brings out a... Vanilla cake. Vanilla, vanilla cake. Vanilla cake. Um, With vanilla buttercream frosting. Yes. Um, Which, personally, I'm a cream cheese frosting gal, but that's besides the point. Oh, I love some good che- cream cheese frosting. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, she says... I bought a cake. It's vanilla, your favorite. And it has this, like, really cool vanilla buttercream topping that's supposed to be, like, amazing. Great. I lie. I know, right? Want to do cake now? Let's do cake now. Hey! She shouts to the crowd of people, snapping her fingers. Everyone starts singing. I'm too drunk to be able to fully make out the blur. A figure sitting in front of me, singing in a range of keys. Why is Happy Birthday the hardest song on earth to sing? Why is also the most popular song on earth? What kind of sick joke is this? True. <laughs> it's a very difficult song. Yep. <laughs> um, this is it. This is why I didn't want a cake and candles in the first place. I didn't want to have to deal with my birthday wish. At 22, this is the first birthday wish I'll be making where I don't know what to wish for because the thing I've been wishing for all my life is done. Over. Case closed. The thing that I secretly hoped through all these years I had some control over. I now know that I don't and never did. My entire life's purpose, keeping mom alive and happy, was for nothing. All those years I spent focusing on her, all the time I spent orienting my every thought and action toward what I thought would please her most were pointless because now she's gone. I tried desperately to understand and know my mother, what made her sad, what made her happy, and on and on and on. 
at the expense of ever really knowing myself. Without mom around, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. I don't know who I am. And I certainly don't know what to wish for. I leaned forward and blew out the candles. Wishless. You've got to try the cake. The buttercream frosting is delicious. Bethany shouts, already cutting the cake and divvying it up. She hands me the first slice. I take a big bite, or I take a bite and make big, ooh, that's good, eyes. Everybody knows those eyes. Yeah. Hoping this satisfies Bethany. It seems to. She claps her hands repeatedly and jumps up and down. I head to the bathroom to throw it up. I thought this was... I, I dog-eared this page. I was like, I need to talk about this. Just because, I mean, A, kind of like I was saying, you know, looking disorder, like, even special events like this kind of get tainted by it. But also, you know, one of the first chapters is her sixth birthday party, I believe, where she wishes for her mom to... To live not another die. Year. Yeah, live another year. Because she believed that her birthday wish was what was keeping her mom mm-hmm. alive. And I think that this chapter right here, this uh, passage, it really kind of illustrates how lost Jeanette feels right now. Mm-hmm. Now that this kind of purpose that she had, where she wasn't in control even then, you know, her mom was in control of all of her life, had her fingers in every aspect of Jeanette's life. And now that's over and she doesn't know what to do who she is and i kind of think of this chapter too as being like kind of part of her dark years i would say of like figuring out what's next you know like the chapter of her life with her mom and it has ended or the like what 50 chapters before this happened have ended um and now she's before i think you can kind of start something new you have to figure out and grieve what's been lost yeah and like grief is not just for somebody who's passed mm-hmm. obviously that comes into play with this but grief can be a part of your life Grief right. can be who you were at this part of your life yeah um and so like she says i don't know what i need i don't know who i am like she wasn't able to wash shampoo her own hair right was able to shower by herself for the longest time like wasn't able to eat whatever she wanted without her mom having to approve it and so mm-hmm. it's like yeah, it makes sense that she's she feels so lost because, I mean, what what else is she? Yeah, what else? Is she, what else can she do? Exactly. And when you've had somebody taking care of you to a ridiculous extent, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then when you're so enmeshed with someone and then that person's no longer there, yeah, there's this kind of period of figuring out who you are without them. Mm-hmm. So. Um. And, and then, then she meets Steven. So Jeanette gets picked up by this Netflix series that it's turns not out really isn't actually a Netflix, Netflix series. It's just but... gonna be on Netflix. Yeah, which <laughs> it's very low budget. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she meets Steven during that shoot, and they're having a great old time. You he's know. like sort of Italian. He's got a nice quasi Italian. He's quasi Italian, speaking in some broken English and some Italian. She's like, ooh, foreign. I think it's actually. English and broken Italian. Broken Italian and English, yeah. yes, yes. Hey, hey, all right. Diamo, ciao, ma. She said, he calls his mother on breaks? This boy is too good to be true. These standards, my man. Uh, yeah. So she gets with Steven. And she's like, I'm going to focus on myself, you know? Right. I need, to get, Prior I need to, to get, I need to work on my shame, my humiliation, and the grief, and the bulimia, and her alcohol issues. I'm going to work on me. And then she meets Steven. And she's like, now that I have Steven, I don't need to work on me. I don't need to worry about this at all. 
Yeah. So they're yeah. They're chatting it up. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, having a good time. They talk until, you know, they go on a date. They go back to her place. They have they're... sex for the first time. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Oh. But I'm saying, like, they talk until one in the morning. They oh, yeah. They out on the couch for an hour and then keep talking until four. And then, mm-hmm. you know, on the third day, yeah, they have a good time. Fourth date, they go to Steven's place and watch The Voice, which she's like, okay, weird, but. She says, his taste in television shows is questionable i agree <laughs> but yeah and then um you know they start kind of getting it on again and the low bar she she says he puts on a condom he's responsible too baby miss girl baby girl that is that is that's good etiquette that's just that should that's be the just standard. like exactly that's baseline that is baseline um and she's like but to to her credit she mm-hmm. says that they have incredible sex yeah she's like oh my god this is what i always thought sex was gonna be mm-hmm. and she's like it's normally something that's kind of going on in the background i just kind of throw some moans in there to kind of make sh- them know that i'm here again performing uh, yes again performing she's like this time i'm lost in the moment um i start to well she says Stephen makes me forget myself that's what I, meant. I love that i love that no he should make you Explore yourself. Yeah. As he's exploring you. Hey, hey. that's not what I meant. Hey. <laughs> um, um, and then she says, I'm, cr- she, you know, she, I start to cry. Stephen asks if I'm all right. And I tell him the truth. And she said, I'm crying because I'm realizing that this is how sex is supposed to feel. He kisses me harder. We have sex a few more times. He asks me to sleep over. He says he wants to never fall asleep. He says he wants to never not fall asleep next to me. Mind double negatives. Yeah, you? I know. Christina compliments a young woman wailing a Whitney Houston number. All is well. And then they, the shooting for the show ends. Um, they go back to LA. And, she goes back to LA. And like Stephen comes to visit her basically after a little bit. It's been and, like uh, three weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, things are going well so far. And then inevitably Stephen finds out about her bulimia. Um, and they have this whole conversation where, you know, this is, like, the day that Stephen gets into town, right? And, like, yeah. comes to his house. And um, she says, after an hour of cuddling and chatting, Stephen goes to the bathroom to pee. He walks back into the room slowly and with a concerned look on his face. He stops in the arch of the living room, keeping his distance from me. He seems guarded. He doesn't say anything. What? I finally ask. Jenny, Stephen says worriedly. What? I ask again, more concerned than before. You're freaking me out. What's going on? It's just, Stephen looks down and scuffs his socks against the hard cherry wood floors. I have no idea what Stephen's about to say, and his hesitance is nerve-wracking to me. I just want him to get it out. Do you have a problem? He finally asks. A problem? I ask. Yes, a problem. I'm not sure what you mean. There's vomit, there's vomit residue on the toilet seat. Ooh, that's it. Yeah, Ask. That's nothing. <laughs> Trying that's to play it. Off. Yeah, I just play it off. Well, I wasn't really concerned. A problem. It's more just a a thing I do. Just a quirky little thing that she does. He's not buying it. I wouldn't either. You know, like how you smoke. I try level with him. You smoke cigarettes, and I make myself throw up. There's things we do. Yeah. No, they're different. Stephen assures me. Bulimia can kill you. Well, so can cigarettes. She got you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna stop. Right, yeah, so am I. Steven sighs. <laughs> I really just want you to be okay and healthy, Jenny. Well, I mostly am. But you're not. But I mostly am. 
gives me a long, hard look. He's never looked at me like this before. It's pitying and parental. I don't like it, but there's something to the depth. But there's something to de the depth of it that makes me realize he's not going to budge. I'm not going to be able to convince him. Look, Jenny, you need to get help for this, or I, I can't be with you. I can't watch you do this to yourself. I'm taking it back. Really? His eyes answer back. Really? Well, shit. <laughs> and now she's like, I'm going to a therapist because Stephen matters more to me than my own help. And I want to <laughs> please him because that's what I've been taught my whole life. Oof. And yep. now we meet Laura. Ugh, Laura. Laura is a holistic... Um, therapist and life coach therapist and life coach which the word the, the phrase life coach Ooh, really throws me for a I do not like it I I'm not I don't I'm not a big fan so, mm -hmm. yeah she says I take a holistic approach to recovery so our sessions will incorporate a lot of variety and today we'll focus on a life wheel so that we can gauge where you're starting out and use this as a benchmark to track your progress over time yeah. I just want to say, like, can we count the red flags within this real fast? Because, like, obviously life coach. Um, <laughs> Is one. Yep. Um, and then the other thing that stood out to me is that um, Laura, when they first meet, she says, Hi. She moves toward me in a way that can best be described as floating. Um, I'm intrigued by her. She pulls me into a hug. And I'm like... That's, you don't know this woman. Exactly. Like, I feel like the majority of therapists wouldn't immediately hug their clients upon first meeting them. Like, with therapy, a lot of it, a lot of therapists, too, are more into, like, establishing clear boundaries. Yeah. Figuring out, like, what's comfortable for you. I have been seeing my therapist for years. Never not once hugged her. I gave my therapist a hug one time because it had been a really long time since I've seen her. And I was yeah. like, girl, I, I, oh, I need to. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. But it's funny. Okay, it's kind of funny because she says she pulls me into a hug. I'm typically not a hugger, but there's something about Laura's warmth and immediate trustworthiness that causes me to surrender to her embrace. She smells like fresh laundry. I take a whiff. Hope it gets discreet. Give me that snuggle sheet scent, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny, too. Which I don't necessarily think that Laura is warm and immediately trustworthy i think she is a kind mother type figure mm -hmm. where she craves that kind of comfort and so she that's why she's like oh yeah bring it in and also like i just want to preface this section by saying like i don't think laura is like a bad person or anything no, 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 i don't no. know laura but i do think that she probably isn't the right therapist for jeanette in this setting and i do kind of question her um, techniques of therapy that she's using because like she says it's holistic so she goes like over the next four months we'll go grocery shopping cook together discover your hobbies and passions through experimentation read a stock of eating disorder specific books and take notes on what do's and don't and doesn't on what does I said do's, <laughs> what does and doesn't I resonate with anything. you I thought it was going to be do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts. Does and doesn'ts. Yeah. Resonate with you and explore balanced and non-obsessive physical activity options together because um because of her Jeanette's eating disorder, she had been running a half marathon twice a week and five to ten miles every other day. Yeah, and another thing with bulimia as well, there's something called um, exercise purging, which is a little bit less known. But um, instead of you know vomiting up what one person, what the person has eaten, um, other people will also run. Sometimes the same person will ex uh, display a combination of both behaviors where mm -hmm. they use um, exercise as a way of purging what they've eaten, and it's it's still bulimia. But, um, yeah. So, Which, uh, another red flag to me, too, yeah. was the grocery shopping like together. We will go grocery shopping, cooking together, 
And like, I think that's more of the life coach aspect because she says like, yeah. we'll discover your hobbies and passions through experimentation. But then says like, read a stack of eating disorder specific books. It's like, aren't you supposed to be the professional? Like, why are we just right. reading a bunch of random books and yeah. taking notes? I mean, my therapist is like, um, you know, uh, recommended books for me before to read yeah but like not as like a main part of my therapy like yeah. hey i think you find this interesting maybe helpful for you we're not gonna like read it together do a little book club though and also i mean like when i was in eating disorder recovery i had a nutritionist or a, a dietitian basically that i went to yeah um to like kind of help me find food that would work for me um and like we never not once went grocery shopping together. Mm-hmm. Like You definitely didn't go to a red carpet event with, with Laura as your plus one so yes. she could gauge your eating. Exactly. Like which is exactly what happens. Right. And I that's I think the biggest red flag for me, like, is that they go to this red carpet event together and the passage that I kinda highlight with it. Um, and the reason they do this is because um, when they were trying to identify what their what Jeanette's kind of main triggers were for her um, purging and binging behaviors, um, red carpet events came up like number one on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so Laura decides to go with her as her plus one, which is unclear whose idea this was. It says that Laura and I decided for the for the next few months, Laura months Laura would be my plus one to all these events. And I'm kind of curious who broached that idea first. Yeah. Um, but anyway. I digress. Um, so uh, Laura smiles and starts to mouth, you've got this. But just as she gets to the th- and this, a mother trying to corral her fleet of young children skittles past her. Laura makes an excuse you face until she realizes that the mother in question is Angelina Jolie. Excuse you face turns into, oh, you go right on ahead, you glorious angel face. I try to meet Laura's eyes again, even for a quick second before the lights come back on. I'm desperate for her support. I'm sure that I'm penetrating her soul with my desperation, but it doesn't matter. I've lost her to Angelina. Not that I can blame Laura. I get it. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that also kind of makes me wonder, too, like, what were Laura's motives with coming to this event as well? Yeah. Like, again, like you're obviously not looking out for your, your client or your, yeah. you know. And then, was there anything you want to talk about before we get, before we move on? Or? Um... Like, on the last page, because I want to talk about, too, like, after, you know, basically, yeah. so uh, she homegirl has, like, a little mild panic attack, mm-hmm. pretty much. And sees a lot of food mm-hmm. and is, like, really trying to hold herself back. And she's, like, they got mini cheeseburger. They got cheeseburger sliders. I could mess with what? some cheeseburger sliders I know, right that now. sounds like great. She says, the act of purging gives me a rush of adrenaline and so physically exhausting that I can I hardly have space for anxiety after I'm finished. I need the fix. But I know I shouldn't. That's why Laura's here. Laura? That's why I need. That's what I need. I need Laura. Where's Laura? And she like cannot find her mm-hmm. because she is having a discussion with what she's Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, which I mean, I get it. I would talk to him too. He sounds like a cool guy. She says it's clear she has a crush on him. Who doesn't? Shirtless Adam Sandler in the shampoo is better scene from Billy Madison was true was true porn for me as a child. I mean, I don't have a crush on him. I, I, I don't think he's very attractive. Neither do I. But That's me personally. Same. Um, um, she says, I'm torn. Do I interrupt Laura's engaging discussion with America's favorite goofball slash occasional indie darling to tell her I'm in the middle of a panic attack? Or do I rush over to the buffet table and stuff my face with a few with a slew of snacks then go through them up in the bathroom? Do I get my fix? Geez. I beeline for the buffet table and go and grab a plate. So we see where her decision landed. Yeah. Um, and then she's 
I'm done with the first eating. lighter yeah. and halfway through the second one when I hear, I think it's great that you're eating. I would love it if you could slow down a little bit though. And I want to make sure we step away to a private area afterwards so we can process your emotions without purging. How does that sound? So Laura hops back in. Um, they leave the reception basically, but she hops back in as a reactive yeah. kind of approach rather than the proactive. Like she was not there when Jeanette needed her. Mm-hmm. She was only there to kind of make her feel not intentional, but I feel like it only made her feel worse after she did this because she's like, I just want to eat my cheeseburger sliders. Yeah. And she also caught her in the middle of her already having eaten, which I think for Jeanette probably also wasn't the best approach because basically like she's catching her in the middle of like a binge, even though like she didn't really get that far in, but yeah. like, and not. She talks about how much of, of how much shame and humiliation it brings her. So right. It's like to have this one in public at a red carpet event. Yes. And to be caught in the middle of the act. I don't doubt that. Yeah, she feels awful. Right. Um, and she's having an intense panic attack. And she gets into the car and she is just sobbing. Mm-hmm. So the panic attack is in full force. It feels like death. And she's like, no, not the sliders. Why did I eat the sliders? And again, little red flag. Laura mm-hmm. says... I know, baby. Laura said, says affectionately. She strikes my hair. You're doing great. You're doing great. Girl, don't she, call me baby. Uh, yeah. Like, don't. You're not mama. You're not. No. This is not a professional right. <laughs> relationship. Exactly. And that's, I think, what gets me is, like, this isn't professional. Like, and obviously that may be because Laura isn't, like, a. I told Sydney this earlier. I'm like, I would be really curious to see what Laura's certifications are. Yeah. What, like what degrees does she have? Exactly. What, yeah, certifications. Like um, is she a licensed, you know, clinical social worker? Um, like I, I'm curious because this does not scream to me as someone who does have that Mm-mm. education experience. No. And it shows even more when she goes back to another session with Laura mm-hmm. and she has a one good day, um, you know, where she didn't purge at all. Um, and she's like, you know, I, I feel, you know, anxious, but I feel good. Um, and they have one, Jeanette has one good day. Mm-hmm. Right. Immediately, Laura says, you know, I want to understand more about little Jeanette. I understand you felt a lot of pressure and that you had a lot of responsibilities at an early age, but I want to get into the specifics. Don't go into their childhood if they do not bring it up themselves. Exactly. And she only had one day and now she's immediately like dissecting everything wrong with her mom. There is so much she could have talked about with... You know, like, okay, like, let's talk about, like, this eating stuff more. Like, that's kind of the problem they're currently working on. Like, maybe maybe when did the eating, like, eating problem yes. started or something like that. Exactly. Um, and one of the things that I thought was sad was that, or I thought, not sad, but probably wasn't the best thing to have said, but it is true, mm-hmm. is that, you know, Jeanette says, mom was wonderful. She was honestly, like, the perfect mom. Oh, yeah? What was so perfect? I throw on my best fake smile. Laura's sharp. I'm sure she can see right through the mo- that through most of her clients, but not me. I didn't star on a shitty sitcom. I didn't star on shitty sitcoms for a decade and not learn how to sell a line I don't believe in. No, nope. just everything. To be honest, she took care of me and her brother, my brothers. I'm sure that was really hard from her. That was her job. Laura was <laughs> straight facts, not the best timing. Yeah, but literally, when people are like, you know, oh, like parents like I put food on food on the table and clothes on your back. You that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. That's the Bare you, minimum. You brought 
your child into this world therefore it's your responsibility like that is literally the bare minimum of you giving me clothes and giving me food yeah and i will say although i'm not laura's biggest fan as you can probably tell again i do not know her in person i mean i like i said i'm not trying to pass personal judgment but like as a character in this book shall we say yes i'm not her biggest fan in terms of i mean she seems like a really nice person she's conducting this kind of therapy question her credentials but anyway um but i will say this passage where like they're talking about her childhood and although i'm sure jeanette felt very interrogated during it it was kind of fun to read it was really fun to read like Um, just like it's all the things like i've been shouting like to myself to my cat while i was reading it and now it's like finally getting sad she's like oh actually mom wanted me to start acting because she wanted me to have a better life than she had oh so you didn't want to start acting your mom wanted you to she said Yes, I said with a little more heat on it than I would have liked, because she wanted me to have a better life than she had. It was very kind and generous of her. Okay, it was. I understand. No. <laughs> She's like, I definitely do not understand. Yeah. And um, what stopped me, too, is that when they first ask about, you know, when Laura first asked about, like, I want to understand more about little Jeanette. Um, she says, but not me. I didn't have an alcoholic dad. My brothers didn't torture me when my parents weren't home. We were poor, sure, and lived in a hoarder house. Yes. And I had cancer when I was very little, which was very scary. But otherwise, things were fine. <laughs> I relate this to Laura, gently suggesting in my tone that I refuse to play the game of boo-hoo, my childhood was woof. Um, okay, Laura says with a glint of a knowing smile that irritates me deeply for some reason. This irritation confuses me. I'm totally so fond of Laura. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your relationship with her when you were a kid. Immediately, I'm defensive. And I, one of the things that I thought was really fun about this was that, but otherwise things were fine. And that she relates this to Laura and Laura kind of gives her like a, okay, with like a knowing smile. Yeah, it's fine. I have had my therapist tell me before that, um... (laughs) Oh, this is so funny. That typically when clients come in and they say, like, oh, my childhood was fine. Like, it was good. I had a great childhood. Nothing wrong with it. Um, typically, like, there is something there that they're that you are either not processed or don't want to talk denial about. Denial or yes, don't want to exactly. talk about it. So I just thought that like that was kind of funny. Cause I'm like, I yeah, <laughs> relatable. Um, and obviously my childhood was nothing like Jeanette's, but still like that kind of idea of yeah. People not really processing their childhoods much. Yeah. Interesting. And again, like, after she was, like, that was her job of raising her, mm-hmm. um, she was like, well, I, but I mean, this was different from most parents. And she's like, shit, I hated how they came out. How so? <laughs> I paused to compose myself. Laura won't rattle me. I speak in an even assured, measured tone. She sacrificed everything for me. She constantly went without so she could take care of me. She put me first ahead of herself. Hmm. And do you think that's healthy? What kind of fresh hell is this? <laughs> what is this impossible to ace quiz? I have no idea how I'm supposed to be answering to make mom look well, look good. Well, I mean, I put her first too, so it kind of balanced it out. We balanced each other, putting each other first out. Laura looks at, holds a look at me, an unreadable look. She says nothing. The silence is deafening. We were best friends, I clarified. Oh, did your mom have any friends her own age as well? Or was her main friendship the one she had with you? What do you want from me, Laura? <laughs> I squirm in my seat. Are you, Are you com- comfortable? I'm extremely comfortable. <laughs> did you? Did your mom have any friends her own? Yeah, I know. I heard the question. I say in bitch voice. Laura looks slightly startled. I feel sorry. Her tone this entire time has been gently curious even. Or 
as Benjamin the Curious One, even though I've been treating it like a personal attack. Maybe she doesn't mean anything by her questions. Maybe this is all harmless. Sorry. It's absolutely fine. Could it? Couldn't it have been? Couldn't it have just been fine, Laura? Did it have to be absolutely <laughs> fine? Why is she bugging me like this? I wonder. I smile at her, tenser than I would like. Than I'd like. She smiles back, softer than I'd like. So, she starts. She had acquaintances, yes. She always said she didn't really have time for friends. Before Laura could sidle in another question, I get ahead of it. Which makes sense to me because she was really busy taking taking me to auditions and to set and everything. So uh, that's when she asks about... Oh, yeah. uh, yes. So when did you first want to start acting? I know a trick question when I hear one. Actually, mom wanted me to start acting because she wanted me to have a better life than she had. And she's really like mm-hmm. hammering it in. Like, like, no, she like she wanted what's best for me. Yeah. Like, that's truly what it is. And then Laura gets to what I think is most like probably one of the most egregious things her mom did, which is like start her eating disorder. Yeah. When um Laura asks, Can you tell me about the first time you're aware of your weight or your body in a Laura pauses to find the right words, significant way? This one I don't want to answer, but I feel like I'm but I feel like if I wiggle around it, Laura will just come right back for the juggler with her follow-up. <laughs> I try with caution. Well, when I was 11, I was concerned about getting boobs, so mom taught me about calorie restriction to help me out. To help you out? Yes. What do you mean to help you out? Well, I was concerned about getting boobs. Right, but how does your mom teaching you about calorie restriction help you out? Because watching my calories meant I could delay adulthood. Laura holds another one of her trademark unreadable stares at me. Even though I can't gauge the specifics, I can tell there's a lot of speculation going on. I feel the need to add more. Plus, for acting, I always played characters younger than me, so if I wanted to keep booking, looking younger was important. By teaching me calorie restriction, she was able to ensure my su- she was helping to ensure my success. I give a little nod to punctuate my statement. I'm hoping that moved the dial in Laura's judgment, but after a few section- seconds, I can tell it didn't. Jeanette, what you're describing is really unhealthy. Your mother essentially condoned your act, anorexia, encouraged it. She she taught it to you. That's abuse. Mine flashes back to the first time I heard the word anorexia when I was sitting on the paper covered table in room five at Dr. Tran's office. Suddenly I feel just like that eleven old suddenly I feel like just like that eleven mm. little eleven year old girl. Woo! <laughs> Who was confused and scared and uncertain. That 11-year-old girl who was doubtful that I knew the whole truth in my situation. Who was unsure that my mother was the hero she pretended to be, but who shoved that doubt down. I feel I feel tears welling in my eyes. I'm embarrassed. I'm well-trained in crying and not crying on cue. So I resort to my usual tricks. Grating my teeth to distract from the tears and blinking a few times rapidly to try and churn them away. It's okay to let it out, Laura leans forward. Shut the fuck up, Laura! She doesn't say that. She doesn't have rain. Yeah. <laughs> I have to clarify. I can't take this anymore. I get one day of not throwing up under my belt, and now we're trying to throw my mother and demolish a narrative of her that I have clung to my entire life? I mean, I get it. Yeah. I have to go, I say quickly as I stand up and start to leave. Wait, Jeanette, this is good work. Important work. I've got to go. I repeat over my shoulder as I pull open the door and speed out as quickly as I can. Oh, my gosh. Oh! <laughs> Laura. Laura. I agree with you. This is good work. It's important work. But she's... Not the time. She has one good day. You were treading with lead feet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You had bricks tied to your feet. You were walking across the bottom of the ocean. Like, you had sunk yourself so deep 
in so much trouble that you were never going to shovel your way out of that. Like, you were, like, not like a bull in a china shop. You were an elephant in a china shop. Just... You destroyed every bit of semi-trust <laughs> and, like, ethical bound. Like, you you yes. ruined it all. Um, and God. so what she says is that Jeanette's like, if mom really didn't want what was best for me or do what was best for me or know what was best for me, that means my entire life, my entire point of view, and my entire identity have been built on false foundation. That's what mm-hmm. I said earlier. Yeah. Or it was in the last episode. I can't remember. But, like, last she has episode. never... It was still today. It was today. Episode. But last episode. But she has never had a firm foundation. She's no. always been... There's always been fast and loose rules. Like, she's... Mm-hmm. The only thing that's ever been firm was calorie restriction, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and even then, you know, she slipped into, yes, calorie restriction, but then it kind of devolved into bulimia and and binging and purging and devolved like like calorie restriction is better it became yeah bulimia yeah yeah um and so she's like and if my entire life and point of view and identity have been built on a false foundation confronting that false foundation would mean destroying it and rebuilding a new foundation from the ground up i have no idea how to go about this that's why you have therapy but not with Laura. Not with Laura, though, obviously. No hate Laura, but... I have no idea how to go about life without doing it in the shadow of my mother. Without my every move being dictated by her wants, her needs, and her approval. I pull up to my lonely house and sit in my car with the engine running. I pull out my phone and draft an email to Laura. Laura, thanks for all your help this past month, but I will no longer be attending therapy. Thank you, Jeanette. My finger hovers over the send button for a few seconds before I tap it abruptly and click off my phone. I rush up my front steps, and once I'm inside, run to the bathroom. I make myself throw up repeatedly. I jam my fingers down my throat harder and harder until I cough. Some blood comes up. I keep going. Vomit streaked with blood pours out of my mouth and into the bowl. It slides down my arm. Chunks of it get in my hair. I keep going. I need this. I take a bath afterward. Something to relax. By the time I get out, my body feels achy and feverish, the same way it feels after every purge. I crawl into bed with my sore, tired body and curl up into a ball. I swipe over my phone, three missed calls from Laura, and one voicemail. I delete Laura's number. I guess I won't have a plus one for my next event. Uh, Oof. Well, then, Steven's back. Then he comes Steven. back with Jenny, oh. Jenny. Bo Benny, Banana Fana, Fo Fenny, Fee Fi Mo Mini, Jenny. Right? Right. <laughs> and he's like, actually, um, I don't wanna have I don't wanna have sex anymore. I wanna go to church. Um, uh, because I saw God's Not Dead on Netflix and it really resonated with me. <laughs> and I just think there's a lot there's a lot of truth to it, Jenny. A whole lot of truth. And I want us to try going to church. I want us to find try finding some kind of religion. Hang on. You saw, saw a shitty Christian music <laughs> movie on Netflix, and now you want to abandon your whole life philosophy for Jesus. And that's when she admits to Stephen that she quit therapy. Mm-hmm. And therapy. then he comes in hot with saying, that's fine. Really? It's fine? I can't believe it. This feels too, too good to be true. He opens his mouth to say, for, to say more. You don't need therapy. Not if you have Jesus. I underlined that line and wrote, oh, shit. That's not even the wild. That's not even the wildest thing that he said. Yeah. It gets yeah, we'll, more we'll worrisome. Yeah. Um, but also, Stephen, you're wrong. I have both Jesus and therapy. Still working through some things. So, you know. I only have the one, but, you know. Therapy right. is still great. 
you gotta have what you have. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make do with what you got. And yeah. Therapy. Therapy. Everybody could use therapy. Genuinely, everyone can use therapy. Genuinely. Even if, like, you're doing pretty good right now, therapy can still be a good way to, like, be even better. You yeah. Know? You have a little, you have, you have a little, a little, a little knowledgeable person you could talk to yeah. and be like, hey, what do you think about this? They're like, yeah, that's okay, but... You know, you're being really hard on yourself. Let's try some some positive affirmations. Right. You're like, okay, and then you then you feel even better. Exactly. And Ugh. then your dog dies and you get really sad, so you go to therapy. Because life happens and therapy's always there for you. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. <laughs> um so they go to a bunch of different churches, and try then, it out. And then that's when he says, I just don't think we should be we don't think we should have sex anymore. And she is not into that, like let me tell you. She's like, I'm not our sex is the best sex i've ever had again to be fair she's only had sex with two people <laughs> and uh, one of them was rape uh, assault yeah um and this one is consensual yeah um but she was like um i wouldn't want to give that up even if my life was soaring in all the other areas but it isn't my life is miserable right now sex is a reprieve it's where i lose myself i don't want to give up the shred of silver lining in my life what if i'm not i finally check out and then she a little bit of some coercion a little bit of coercion a little um sexual assault on her behalf Mm -hmm. conducted where she's like kissing him and he kisses her back tentatively at first um and it says and then passionately got him pretty soon my hands on his dick it's hard Real real hard Look how hard you are for me, I whisper in his ear. Jenny, stop, Stephen says, his face flushed. You want me to stop? I say in my best dirty talking voice, which lands somewhere between curious toddler and whiny teen, but still seems to work. I'm amazed at what a little hoardiness will forgive. I start to pull my hand away. No, no, don't stop. So then she gives him the blowjob of a lifetime. She, she said, says, I'm pulling all the stops. I'm living. I'm giving. I'm working, working it. it. There are blowjobs. And, and then there's, there's this blowjob. Blow I'm, I'm sucking. sucking. I'm stroking. I'm whispering. I'm licking. I'm caressing. I'm giving 150,000%. <laughs> That's a lot of percent. Let me tell you. He she, comes to my mouth. <laughs> I pop up proud and expectant, sure that Steven's going to want to announce that it will be impossible for him not to have sex with me, that he wants to, needs to have it with me every second of every day. That's a, way too much. God. I'm just about to swallow with as, I'm just about to swallow with as much seduction as I can muster when Steven starts to stroke his chin. Yeah, that didn't feel right, Jenny. We can't do that again. We really can't do that again. Yeah. And now she's like, what have I done? What have I done? She says... I hate that line. Can I, Go can ahead. I say it? Go ahead. It grossed me out. There's such fina- finality in Stephen's eyes. I know I'm getting nowhere near that deck for the foreseeable future. The cum slides out of my mouth and down my chin. It dribbles onto my lap. <laughs> <laughs> then the eyes. I stare at him. What have I done? Girl, I don't know. Not the cum slides out of my mouth and down my chin. It trickles onto my lap. Oh. oh. And now, this is kind of uh, funny in a little bit because <laughs> this is where you find out that Jeanette's dad, Mark, Mark, it, his girlfriend is Karen, the one that mom was bitching about at the beginning of the book. Her, her best, best high school best friend who stole her baby named Jason. Yeah. Um, 
And she says, as I studied Karen from across the room, I realized mom tried to do her makeup like Karen does hers. Or maybe Karen tries to do her makeup like mom did hers. I can't tell. But either way, it makes me uncomfortable. I want dad to be happy, but he's a little too happy. It's been a year since mom's death, and he's been seeing Karen since one week after she died. That man had been waiting to get out. Because she asked him, she was like, why didn't, like, later in the book, we'll get to it, but she's like, why didn't you divorce? And he was like, I don't know. She was, the mom was barely in the ground before the dad, like, Like, the the grass had not grown over the grave before he said, (laughs) hey, Karen. The dirt had not yet settled. Honestly, I was a big fan of the name Jason. I'm glad you took it. (laughs) I'm glad that's your son's name. Can I be his stepdad? (laughs) <laughs> hello mark yeah um but this is when she finds out um that or she she meets her dad and um she's like there's something stiffer than usual in his body language i figure this must be some sort of announcement now my body st- stiffens shit dad and karen are getting married oh god am i gonna have to pretend to be supportive excited even mm. i pick up my fingernails so i don't have to make eye contact while i prepare myself for what i'm about to ask so why you want to meet up oh uh well uh dad looks to karen she gives him a big go on eyes oh god no here it comes here it comes dustin scotty and you are not my biological children i'm trying to do that in like my maury voice <laughs> You Dustin, are... Scotty, and you are not my <laughs> yeah, There you go. <laughs> huh? You are not the father. I'm shocked. I feel the color drain from my face. I'm sure I'm about to pass out. Why? My cotton mouth finally chokes out. Dad just nods, tears well in his tears well in Karen's eyes. But he is your father, she says, her voice cracking with emotional strain. This man's your father. We get it, Karen. <laughs> she um dad says that he thought you should know um which it's kind of sad because like karen was the one that was like she says like he told me and i told him he had to tell you karen whisper speaks into my hair like to give her a hug i'm sorry hold up i just i reread this line it cracked me up give it um i just thought you should know dad says eyes looking down at his hands while he rubs them together mom always hated when dad rubbed his hands together get a hand cream mark (laughs) (laughs) That woman was so ornery. Oh I know. Um, but yeah, it says like, I told him he just had to tell you. You deserve to know. So it's like funny because like, da- like Mark has always been kind of distant. Yeah. And like not really sure how to approach his children. But he's known about the right. affairs this whole time. Um, and so at the end, he goes. Kind of adds a little, a little another level of context too under those like that distance. You know, I wonder yeah. if it was part of that. And I wonder if you know, her sibling or her brother who is her dad's biological child, if they do have a more of a strong relationship. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway. At the end, he says, so should we go see a movie? Or, <laughs> like, dad, Mark. Mark. This is a very <laughs> uncomfortable, like, life-altering Get a hand di- cream, Mark. Yeah, get a hand cream. Like, this is a really difficult discussion, Mark. Yeah. What do you mean? Um... So she's going to go tell Steven the big news, you know, like she's going to this like promo for the Netflix show in um, Australia. And, you know, she's kind of like weird, like kind of beating around the bush for it because she like just wasn't sure how to say it and like wasn't sure if she wanted to share the news. So she's kind of like being around the bush and like tells him like, I have some really big news for you. And seems like, oh, I have some big news for you too. Um, 
And she's like, okay, well, you go first because mine's pretty big. Yeah. And he says, no, you go first. Mine's really big. Yeah. He says confidently. Yes. Yes. Um, She said, look, please just go. um, He's like, all right. Stephen says with a weighted exhale, I am Jesus Christ reincarnated. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't gotten to this part yet. And Shay texted me and she was like, have you gotten to Steven and how do I say this? His, uh, his carpenter career. And I was like, I was like his carpenter face. Yeah. And I was like, "Mm, what? And then I read that and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't sure how it'd be subtle about it, but I was like, no, that was the perfect way to, to hint at it. And I was like, what does she mean? Um, now you know yeah and she goes huh my first instinct is to burst out laughing like we did the kind of uncomfortable laugh that's an automatic result of shock sadness anger and disbelief combined Stephen thinks he's Jesus our Lord and Savior Christ come on on. he's gotta be kidding me the second I realized he's not my second instinct hits me I want to cry I want to crump just to I want to just crumple into myself and let it all out. You've got to believe me, Jenny, Stephen says with gravity. I know it sounds crazy, but you've got to believe me. And she shakes herself off, goes and pukes in the bathroom, and then comes back out. And she's like, it's clear that Stephen is unwell. Mm-hmm. But I have no one to tell that information to, to who would be helpful in any way. I don't have any of the phone numbers for his family or friends. Our relationship is too new for that. I try and discreetly ask for the phone number of one of his friends that lives nearby, but Stephen bursts into tears, begging me not to tell anyone the secret I told him. It's just between you and me, Jenny, he cries. I think you should tell your family, I urge him, knowing that if he does, they'll see that something's up and likely fly down to take care of him. I can't, he says, shaking his head. I just can't. They won't believe me. Only you'll believe me, Jenny. I don't think Jenny believes you either. I I don't think she does. She gives him a hug and and heads off to Australia. And then, in the bathroom of the airport, she, or of the airplane, she it's a fourteen hour flight to Sydney, and so she's puking in the ba- in the in the in the bathroom, um, and she loses her left molar mm-hmm. from all of the um, acid and yeah. just deg- like she's yeah bulimia will wear down your tooth enamel from all the vomiting. Yeah, so she loses one of her teeth. Um. And it's Stephen's parents. She gets a call or voicemail and they were concerned. So they flew out to visit him and they're with him now at a mental facility to run some tests because a psychiatrist there thinks that Stephen might have schizophrenia. What was their first clue? <laughs> maybe he didn't open up with Jesus Christ. Maybe he, maybe he, maybe he didn't open with that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe he, maybe he was like, I'm also... I mean- to be fair, there are other um, mental health disorders that can cause um, hallucinations and uh, delusions like that. Or not even hallucinations, but delusions like that. Like, um, bipolar can also do that. Or yeah. other mood like disorders. Like Yeah. Um, like episodes and stuff. Yeah. Or um, I know that, I want to say there's other, like, uh, personalities where I think can also cause that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, she gets the Uber and he goes, hey, how's it going? And she was like, uh, I look straight ahead not answering the driver how's it going it's going fucking terribly (laughs) my mom lied my entire life about who my biological father was i'm caught in the undertow of bulimia i'm going to have to do an entire press junket while missing a lower left molar and my boyfriend's schizophrenic it could not be going worse 
Ooh, Ooh I, I love the song. song. You mind if I turn it up? It's Ariana Grande's hit single, Focus, Focus on, on Me. Of course it is. Of course it's Ariana Grande. It's even better than her last single, huh? The driver asks. He bobs his head and hums along, beats the dashboard with enthusiasm. I look out the window and see the Sydney Opera House in the distance. I my I tongue my missing molar, deep in thought. Maybe Ariana's got a point. Maybe it's time to focus on me. Focus on me. Focus on me. I don't even know that song. That's the song. Okay. I know it now. <laughs> <laughs> that is the song. So now we meet Jeff. Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Jeff, my man. Jeff. Jeff. Is a real one. He is Ooh. a legitimate actual actual eating disorder specialist jeff come that on now jeff is um you know really is really good for her mm-hmm. um and you know it's it's kind of good because when he asks her he's like you know you gotta step on the scale and she's like i had no idea i had to weigh myself she's like i want my clothes to weigh as little as possible she's mm-hmm. like i never would have worn jeans a thick Thick, heavy jeans and a sweater, a lumpy, hefty cable knit sweater. Do I have to? Yes, but you do don't have to look at the number, and I won't tell it to you. It's simply for my clinical purposes. I'll need to document your weight at the start of each session. I wring my hands with agitation. You seem upset. I just don't want to be weighed. This is just part of the process, and I totally understand how it might be upsetting. To be honest, your reaction is mild compared to a lot of what I see. What do you see? People start sobbing. Sometimes they yell. Someone threw a purse across the room once. That was fun. I laugh. Facing your emotional experience is going to be the most transformative part of your recovery. That starts with facing your emotional experience around food, eating, your body, and yes, getting weighed. I'll be here to help you through it all, but if you want to get better, you're going to have to face all of it. Doesn't sound like there's much wiggle room, Jeff. He chuckles, and then his chuckle ends abruptly, and he doesn't say anything. He just keeps looking at me. Yeah. Um, so and he's like, let's get to work. Yeah, let's get to work. Let's get it. But I mean, this is this is what actual like eating disorder recovery this looks like. This is what like. professional relationship looks like. Like this is this is familiar to me. <laughs> familiar territory we are treading. Um, and then Stephen gets some help and he's like, I can't believe I ever thought I was Jesus. And she's like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah me neither, buddy. <laughs> um She says like he sounds um like his usual self sort of there was more lethargy to his tone a numbness that didn't used to be there he told me that this was due to the lithium they had he was taking and that with time he'd get back to his old pre-diagnosis self i wanted desperately for that to be the case um and now they're living together and he seems to be doing well he's actively seeing a therapist and a psychiatrist he's on medication his vow of celibacy is over and we're having great sex he's making light of his schizophrenic episode the way you can only do when the thing you're making light of is truly a thing of the past. Yeah. So then um, we we see Jeff again and he you know is working her through her eating disorder and is telling her to start tracking mm-hmm. her food and also tracking the feelings that she feels when she is tracking. Right. Yeah. Which um, is common very common practice to keep a food log which can kind of be i mean obviously it's needed so that like the professional you're working with can know you know kind of what your baseline is and like what foods you're eating and that kind of thing can help you with it to kind of balance you out get you in a more um, healthy eating space um but at the same time it can also be really difficult for people who have eating disorders to track their food intake because Mm -hmm. that in itself can also be kind of triggering so 
Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, and then he, you know, tells her, like, we were going to normalize your eating three full meals a day, day and two snacks, each at a predetermined time. No negotiations before starting the eating normalization process. We need to identify your risky foods. Yep. Um, and she's rattling them off. She says, cakes, pies, ice cream, sandwiches, french fries, bread, cheese, mm-hmm. butter, chips, cookies, pasta. Same. I love all of those things. Um, yeah. They're good. They are really good. And I kind of talked about this a little bit um, last episode, too. But those are also called fear foods by mm-hmm. some professionals um, and some people in the eating disorder community. There's foods that, like, invoke a lot of anxiety, yeah. um, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, the ultimate goal here in therapy is to reduce judgment around food. All judgment. We want you to neutralize food. It's just a thing you eat, neither good or bad, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's pineapple or pancakes. And she said, I see both of those as bad because they both have lots of sugar. Right. So that's what we're going to work on. <laughs> um, and it's like, that, that kind of reminds me, like, last night, my, me and my brother made donuts from scratch. Ooh. And my dad said something, I don't know, somebody said something like, or Sage was like, this is all just, like, not healthy stuff. And I said, that's okay. It's good. And mm-hmm. I want to live my life and eat good food. Yeah. So, and exactly. he was like, no, it's delicious. But there's, like, he was like, there's something about there's nothing redeeming. Like, re- like anything healthy, like, in this. And I was like, uh, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to eat a purple donut. We made purple donuts. Oh, yum. And they were lemon, and we had a lemon glaze on them. Oh. Delicious. Yeah, but, like, that's the thing that, like, food isn't good or bad. Like, and typically we don't even use the word healthy or unhealthy either. Um, a lot of what people will use is how, um, like, kind of nutritional the food does like what nutritional qualities it has so like you know this is like a very vitamin rich food or like oh like this food is um fairly calorie dense or like more hearty you know yeah um and that's kind of how we'll phrase it rather than like this is junk food or like this is like a bad food or this is good or like whatever but it's the kind of thing of like um similarly to like i've said this before i don't know if i've said on the podcast but i've said this before of like I would rather have a spoiled child than a neglected child. Yeah. I would rather have a kid have everything, like, be, be spoiled, mm-hmm. you know, be taken care of right. than having a kid that is neglected. So it's yeah. like I would rather have food and be able to be full when I go to sleep at night yeah. than to have no food or to, like, only be limited to food that I don't like or, like, whatever right. it is, um, you know, could only eat celery all day. And it's like I would rather eat something that tastes good yeah regardless of if there's a high nutritional value or not mcdonald's mcchicken with cheese and no mayo is delicious also i mean i think what people don't really understand or may like get kind of conditioned to ignore is that our bodies are actually really really smart yeah so you know um when i was recovering we kind of just started doing like intuitive eating and that was kind of what we started with where um and this was like after you know it kind of already been to like nutritionist for a while but we started just kind of doing like eat what you want when you want it yeah. and you know at first when you're getting off of restriction a lot of what you want is going to be foods that you're restricting so like carbs sugary like things that are more calor- calorically dense mm-hmm. but then after a little bit it evens out where that isn't what you want anymore you know if you eat like like if you eat really kind of calorie dense or greasy food for a while you're gonna want like a salad eventually oh yeah you know definitely. like your body's smart it'll take care of you you don't have to micromanage it just listen to it yeah So then Jeff coming through again with that knowledge, he says, mm-hmm. you know, he's telling her that like slips are totally normal. Yeah. When you have a slip, slip, it's just that. 
slip. It doesn't define you. It doesn't make you a failure. The most important thing is that you don't let that slip become a slide. And this is where she says, or it says, like, Jeff tells me, and then he hands me a packet titled, Don't Let Slips Become become Slides. slides. I have a feeling he's rehearsed this moment. Say it and then hand in the packet. Yeah, that'll hit him. (laughs) But this shows the difference between Laura and Jeff of, like, this is not, let's read these books and just follow this. It's here, let me talk with you, have a teaching moment, and here's some additional resources Exactly. if you want that. Exactly. She said, I enjoy the pa- doing the packets. I like that I'm able to get myself on paper. It simplifies things for me. When everything's in my head, it feels chaotic and jumbled. But when I can look down at a sheet of paper and see myself reflected back in words and tallies and graphs, it's clarifying. So I feel like that also kind of foreshadows her becoming a writer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, like I said, it really, he really like hammers it in nails it in that like yeah this is normal mm-hmm. this is common yeah and i mean and that everybody messes up sometimes yeah like a shame spiral is pretty common i feel like i've had them before like not an eating disorder related but like also eating disorder related where you know you um feel shamed about something but then you for me, at least, a lot of times it'll, like, result in avoiding the thing that, like, caused me shame. And mm-hmm. that only just makes the problem worse. Yeah. Just kind of reinforces the shame. Exactly. And it also makes the problem itself worse that, like, I feel shamed about. So it becomes a spiral. But when... Because shame is a... It's a paralyzing emotion. Yeah. You know, it, it... You aren't... Shame doesn't cause you to act. Right? Like, so anger. Anger is one that, like, can a lot of times motivate people to act. But yeah, it's more like a crime of passion was like a crime of anger, not a crime of shame. Because if it's a, like, you know, like if you murder someone in the other moment or whatever, like that's a crime of passion is what they're called. Yeah. But like that's anger. Like if you had a crime right. of shame, like there wouldn't be that. Like it yeah. would still come from anger. Like shame exactly. is not a, is not a, like a progressive. Right. Yeah. It just it's not an energizing emotion. Yeah. It just stops yeah. you. Um, so, and she says this is too, or I think Jeff says this. The problem with this, um, or it says, I was going to start here. People with a propensity for eating disorders tend to be the types of people who get very caught up in their mistakes and struggle to move on from them. Perfectionist. Does that resonate? Yeah. The label's a little bit annoying, but it resonates. Um, the problem with this is that if we beat ourselves up about a mistake, we add shame onto the guilt and frustration that we already feel about our mistake. That guilt and frustration can be helpful in moving us forward, but shame, shame keeps us stuck. It's a paralyzing emotion. <laughs> Oh, I just said that. I thought you read it. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, when we get caught up in the shame spiral, we tend to make more more of the same kinds of mistakes that caused us shame in the first place. That was what I just said, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I was once up ahead of you. Like, Jeff, we are on the same page. Um, I'm not catching on. So it makes sh- slips become slides. Jeff points at me with pride. Bingo. bingo. <laughs> I could have done without the bingo, but the point connects with me in a deep and powerful way. I'm realizing how much shame spirals contributed to my issues. I'm so tired of swearing over and over again at this time I'm done for real. Nathan's acceptance of slips is a missing piece. Maybe when I have a slip, I can acknowledge how disappointing and frustrating it is without getting caught up in the shame spiral, without letting that spiral lead to more slips and more slips and more slips until they become a slide. Maybe now a slip can be, as Jeff says, just that, a slip. Jeff is so helpful. Oh, Jeff, Jeff is so helpful. And now Stephen is high as a kite and is really at like a conic catatonic level of it. Yeah, like he is so high that she like he's not registering anything. And so yeah. she's like, I'm helpless, I'm powerless over him, but I love him and I want us to be together, so I'll keep trying. 
Um, I wonder too, like how much of this catonia is high induced and how much of it is like mental health lithium induced. induced. Lithium or, I mean, while I was reading this show, I was wondering like, does he actually have like maybe a mood disorder as well? And yeah. like, obviously I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't know. I'm just reading this book. Um, who's to say, but it was a plot that came up for me with mm-hmm. it. But And then you hear grandma is being, grandma. how grandma is being. And the OG mom. Yeah. And she was like, Bob, did you hear her? She ran out of all of her money. She didn't say anything like that, hon. Grandpa assures her with more patience than I understand. Um, so she is selling her house. Mm-hmm. And the news is not going over well. No. What am I going to tell Linda and Joni and Louise? Grandma yells with her arms <laughs> flailing in confusion. I think you can just, just tell them the, the truth. truth. That my grandmother, granddaughter, who I love more than anything on this entire planet, decided willy-nilly to up and move out of her beautiful home and into a measly little one-bedroom apartment? Sure. No! <laughs> it's going to be okay, hon. Grandpa tells Grandma with a pat on her hand. And so, again, Grandma is off her rock. <laughs> but it shows, like, that even though he's, like, a... Even though Jeff is a eating disorder specialist, he's still obviously a therapist. Yeah. So he's, like you know talking with her and she's like i she's telling jeff like she wants to sell her house but she can he's like why not because it's not smart why isn't it smart because a home is a good investment and she's talking about like it's constantly falling apart there's something to fix every day she was like i didn't realize that it's a major stressor in her life to be fair her house does seem like it was a crappy house that was thrown up it seems uniquely awful. Yeah, it seems like it was, like, thrown up in a day. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, constantly falling apart. But she's, like, it's lonely and kind of scary and it's too big for me. And I don't like the neighborhood. And somebody leaked my address online. So I've had a couple stalkers who show up sometimes and leave creepy notes. And one time they left a bouquet of roses dripping with blood. <laughs> That's a lot of stressful things. Yeah. And you're not selling it because it's a good investment? Yeah. What makes? What about it makes it a good investment? I'm not exactly sure. It's sort of just a thing I've heard, you know. Everybody says it. Home is a good investment. A good investment for one person might be a bad investment for another. Okay. What about your investment in your mental health? Feeling safe is important to mental health. And you mentioned that you don't feel safe. I don't, but I don't know. I don't think I can sell it. Jeff holds an unblinking stare at me. I could buy some plants. I shrug. Any other ideas? I could take more vacations. But that doesn't directly impact your main environment, your home which is the main environment that influences your mental health. So why don't we say focus on your home, okay? Yeah, vacations but, are great, but come on. But no plants? Bigger than plants. <laughs> Dream big. <laughs> I could hire an interior decorator. Okay, and how would that reduce your stress? Well, the house is kind of empty looking and feeling. It feels lonely. Mm, and some rugs are going to help with that? They might. I say with a little sauce. Don't love that judgy question, Jeff. All right, Jeff says simply, why don't we just, why don't we start there? I get home and call my realtor to ask. And then Liz good. comes up and Liz Fucking Liz. Sucks. She's like, Ugh. you really need some you really need some animal print. I don't like animal print. Okay, but like some subtle animal print. Uh no girl, I don't want Why are you pushing Libra why are you pushing zebras on me, Liz? I don't want zebra print on my pillows or on my blankets or on my curtains. It's a thing I've never understood why we have to go and try to make pillows and blankets and curtains fun with prints. These things aren't fun, they're functional. Give me some simple, solid colored coordinating furniture and let's call it a day, okay, Liz? And the thing that's so annoying is that she's like, Okay, but you're young. You know, you wanna have a 
fun uh, environment, right? And she gives her a receipt with, and it's she gets a mint and cream cheetah print curtain, which sounds disgusting. Disgusting. Fourteen thousand seven hundred forty-two dollars for curtains. And she's like, "Look, Liz, where, where are those curtains made of? Somebody tell me now. They better be made of the Pope's hair. <laughs> He's losing hair. They gather it up and they sew. They sew. They weave it together. They weave a rug out of the Pope's hair." Now we see Jeanette making some really good progress. Some good choices. says that, you know, my scale has defined me for so long. The number it shows tells me whether I'm succeeding or failing, whether I'm trying hard enough or not, whether I'm good or bad. I know it's unhealthy for anything to have that much authority over myself, self-worth, but no matter how hard I try to fight it, I've always felt reduced to the number on the scale. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe because, maybe because it, in a way, it's easier. Defining yourself is hard, complicated, messy. Letting the number on the scale do it for you is simple, direct, straightforward. I am 95 pounds or 105 pounds or 115 pounds or 125 pounds. Whatever the scale reads, I am that and only that. This is who I am. Or rather, who I was. I no longer want that number to be the entirety of who I am to define me. I'm ready to experience life beyond the scale. It sounds ridiculous, life beyond the scale. It's so dramatic, but unfortunately, true for me. I'm embarrassed that this is my reality. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's growth to be embarrassed. I approach the trash room and pull down the latch to open the chute door. I drop the scale into the chute. I hear the scale slide down. Slide down it, banging against the side of it as it falls. It lands. I leave. The next day comes and goes. I don't get a new scale. Good for her. Good for her. Then she breaks up with Stephen in a swan boat. I don't know why she chose a swan boat. I mean, to break up with him. I don't know if it was premeditated the swan boat, but I think it was within the swan boat at least that she made the decision that she needs to break up with Stephen. In the um, way that, um, you know, Jeff is like. It started with Jeff giving me some material to read about codependency. Everything I read resonated a little too much and forced me to accept that Stephen and I were in a deeply codependent relationship. Jeff suggested I stay focused on trying to solve my own problems. But I'm here. I am trying to solve my problems. And you're doing a great job, Jeff nodded, affirming. But I have a feeling you might not be able to make more, or you might be able to make more progress if you take all that energy you're spending trying to manage Stephen's life and instead put it toward managing your own. The shift happened quickly, per Jeff's suggestion. I had group therapy to my weekly self-improvement regimen. I read more books on eating disorder recovery. The more time I spent focusing on my issues, the less time I had to focus on Stevens. And the less I was focusing on Stevens, the further apart we grew. It's sad to recognize how much fixing had been the backbone of our relationship. Whether it was Stephen trying to fix my bulimia, or me trying to fix his marijuana addiction, or pushing him to find the right cocktail of medication, it's been the glue of our relationship. Without that aspect of fixing the other we don't have much to talk about like right now steven i say finally it jogs him out of his trance he looks at me i don't have to say a word he knows what's coming he starts to cry i do too we cry and we hold each other and we pedal our giant fucking <laughs> <motorboat>. <laughs> oh. and then just cho- good choice after good choice Jeanette's making yeah she is really she's really Focusing on her. Mm-hmm. Um, focus on me. Focus on me. F- 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 focus on me. Woo! 
That was a good little woo. Thank you. Yeah. So then her whole team um, is on a call. And they're like, okay, so your Netflix show got canceled. And she says, okay. 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 One of the boys asks, confused. Okay. I repeat, thanks for telling me. Okay. And the voice says, sighing relieved. Well, all right then. Uh, yeah. So good news is we can start submitting you for other roles now since you're not on hold for Netflix anymore. Actually. A tense beat while they all wait to hear what's coming next. I can almost feel their fears through the phone. Is she going to cry? Please don't let the actress cry. God help me. Actually, I've been thinking about this for a while since we've been waiting to hear if the show got picked up for a third season. And I decided that if we got picked up, I'd do it. But if we didn't, I'd take a break from acting. Silence. Oh, a voice finally chimes in. All right then. Um, huh. Are you sure? Yep, I'm sure. Like, for sure, for sure. Yep, double for sure. All right. Well, um, let us know if you change your mind. We'd love to keep seeing you off for roles. I'll let you know. A few awkward goodbyes are exchanged and the call's over. It's as simple as that. An 18-year career. And then a two-minute phone call. And that, I'll let you know, is a definite, you will never hear from me again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But it's done. Yeah, um, it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want my life, or she said, so much of my life has felt so out of control, out of my control for so long. And I'm done with that being my reality. I want my life to be in my hands, not on eating disorders or casting directors or an agents or my mom's. Mine. And nice. so she and Jeanette, I mean, she and Miranda um, have kind of rekindled their friendship a little bit. And Miranda got her a really cute pur- or bag. It was a black bag. Mm-hmm. What was it? Black Tux? What was the brand? Nice. Toomey bag. Yeah. A beautiful black Toomey backpack with gold details. And so they are at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And it's her 26th birthday. And even though Grandpa no longer works at Disney because he worked there for 15 years, he gets an honorary lifetime supply of park sign park sign in passes and employee discounts. He used his discount to get me 40% off of this courtyard view room we're staying at at the Grand Californian Hotel. Thanks, Grandpa. So they go to Disneyland because, you know, she loves Disneyland. Birthday, birthday, birthday. Birthday, birthday, birthday. Um, and... She's still struggling a little bit with her eating disorder in this. Um, You know, obviously it isn't like a linear or a instant fix. Um, It's a journey, um, which is so cliche to say, but it is true. It's It's up and down. There are regresses and progress to make. Make sure it's on the slide, is what Jeff said. Exactly. And Miranda is very aware Mm -hmm. and is kind of hyper aware. And she's trying not to hover. You can kind of see that. But like she's aware and she's like, but she's trying not to hover too much, I think. Is she's trying, yeah, she's trying to figure out how to how to best be supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, they're eating, and she said like the main course, or she was eating like chips and guac, and she was like, I tell myself just one, just two, just four, just six, but I don't, just, I don't stop at just one or two or four or six. I keep going. I think I'm selling ca- casualness despite what's going on in my brain my mind and so mm-hmm. when the um main courses come she said i can tell by the way miranda's watching me that she knows i'm anxious I remind myself to chew slowly look calm act normal then i excuse myself and say that i have to pee 
And so she goes to the bathroom and she checks all the stalls, stalls, make sure they're empty. Because apparently when she had this three years ago, uh, when she got the Jungle Cruise and be led for the Adventure Lane restroom for her clam chowder, she was right in the middle of purging when a little hand poked out from under the seat, a stall next to hers with her Mickey and Friends autograph book, asking her to sign it. She said, I couldn't because I'm right-handed and since I've just purged, regurgitated bits of clam chowder were trickling down my arm. And those bits got in her autograph booklet. Little Bailey would be forever changed. True. True. This time there was nobody in there. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, she said she hurried into the biggest one and she was able to purge repeatedly until nothing comes up anymore. Um, and then she complains about the really awful Disney toilet paper mm-hmm. because it's really hard to wipe the but vomit off her arms. As she's bent over the toilet paper, she remembers something that Chef had told her. You don't want to be 45 at the office Christmas party with three kids and mortgage sneaking into the bathroom to puke up the artichoke dip, he said. Sure, I'm not 45. I don't even, I don't even like artichoke dip. Girl, I, could, uh, I, I could go for mm-hmm. some artichoke dip right now. You've said that with every single food I, that she's made. <laughs> I could go for some wings right now. I could go for some mini cheeseburgers right now. I could go for some artichoke dip right now. I think you're just hungry. I think I'm also hungry. Um, anyway. Don't go shopping or you'll spend too much money. Grocery shopping. True. And like I never eat all of what I get either like yeah. at least probably a third of it goes bad before yeah. I can eat it because I live alone I probably shouldn't have said that on the podcast so she lives murdered. with 12 other people and um two large aggressive dogs yes German Shepherds mm. Belgian Malinois bark, they're bark. both both retired police dogs yes actually yeah um but she says sure I'm not 45 I don't even like artichoke dip but it is my 26th birthday I am getting older I think of mom I don't want to become her. I don't want to live off chewy granola bars and steamed vegetables. I don't want to spend my life restricting and dog-earing women's world, women's world fad diet pages. Mom didn't get better, but I will. And then she's at a very rich, like, celebrity lawn, lawn party thing. Mm-hmm. And she sees a dense, warm chocolate chip cookie. As Perfect. I chew... I realized that this is a chocolate chip cookie that I never would have allowed myself to eat in my anorexic days and never would have allowed myself to keep down in my bulimic ones. A chocolate chip cookie that I haven't counted the calories in or had anxiety about eating. I think about how it's been over a year since I've purged and several months that I've actually I've actually been able to find enjoyment in the food I eat. Recovery so far is, in some ways, as difficult as the bulimic slash alcoholic, alcohol-ridden years, but difficult in a different way because I'm facing my issues for the first time instead of burying them with eating disorders and substances. I'm processing not only the grief of my mom's death, but the grief of a childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, young adulthood, that I feel I had never truly been able to live for myself. It's difficult, but it's the kind of difficult I have pride in. And then she sees Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Who was also there at that award show that Laura had gone to. And and she had the mini cheeseburgers and everything. The cheeseburger sliders. Mm-hmm. And really she says... Some of those. Why yeah. is there no crystals around here? I don't know. It's like a white... but... It's not the same. I'm sorry. Um, I think about going up to him and introducing myself, reminding him of that award show years ago. Could Dwayne Johnson tell how miserable I was last time we met? Would he sense a difference now? Does he understand all the obstacles and accomplishments that this cookie represents? (laughs) Is Is Dwayne Dwayne Johnson Johnson God? God? (laughs) I'm trying to think of something funny or witty or charming to say, but I can't. My mind freezes in social settings, especially if those settings include the rock slash God. Girl, same. I know. I love Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And also I freeze in social settings sometimes. As well, yes. I miss my chance. He wanders off into the crowd. I go back to eating my cookie. 
enjoying my cookie. Good for her. The main part. Um, now she, um, we're getting very close to the end, mm -hmm. and she gets a phone call from Miranda, and you know they're kind of catching up, and she's trying to. Um, Miranda's trying to convince her to join the to, reboot. To join the reboot, yeah, she's trying to get her, and she's like, "I'm not doing it. There's nothing you can say to convince me." Well, I'm still gonna try. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Yeah. Um, which I think that, like, I understand. Um, where Miranda's coming from because like you know they did become such close friends mm -hmm. and like really bonded over the like on the iCarly set and like the reboot money is good apparently too yeah like she was like um they they agreed to give you the amount that Miranda's make Miranda's like I asked if they'd give you the amount I was making and they said yes which yeah they talked about earlier how like especially with Sam and Cap but, like there's a, just like a difference between like the money and mm -hmm. iCarly Carly is is technically you know the main character. Yeah, the lead. So. And then Sam and Freddie are the support background. Yeah. yeah, which they I'm pretty sure they were in every single character, like, every single episode. Yeah, but she's like, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. I know. I say to Miranda, but there are things more important than money, and my mental health and happiness fall under that category. There's a moment of silence. It's one of those rare moments where I feel like I didn't say too much or too little. I feel like I represented myself accurately, and there's nothing I would change about the way I said it. I feel proud. We wrap up our conversation, promising to keep in touch and hang up. I head back home to finish my dinner. Hi, Mom. I almost say out loud if I stop myself because I don't want to look crazy to the other mourners around me. Mourner singular, actually. There's only one, and it's the same guy I see her every time. He sits in the lawn chair with a sun umbrella over him, playing soft rock from stereo and staring at the headstone of who I assume to be his former wife. I look at mom's headstone. There are about 20 adjectives on it because everyone in the family had adjective pitches and nobody was willing to forsake theirs. We've got to include playful, grandpa insisted. Why do I look brave? Brave is such a good word, grandma wailed. I love so how we, grandma's always wailing. I know, right? <laughs> so she just, never speaks, she just wails. <laughs> she wails. So we just crammed all the words on there. Even mom's place of death is cluttered. Which, mm. oh. That's oh. symbolism right there. Yeah. Um, this is my first time visiting mom's grave since her birthday last July. My visits have become less frequent through the years, even though I promised mom for her request that I would visit her grave every day. Every day. In the beginning, I visited once a week and felt guilty about it, like it wasn't enough. But with time and with reality, the visits have become less and less, and so is the guilt. I sit cross-legged in front of her grave. I take a longer look at the work on her headstone, or the words on her headstone. Brave, kind, loyal, sweet, loving, graceful, strong, thoughtful, funny, genuine, hopeful, playful, insightful, and on and on. Was she, though? Was she any of those things? The words make me angry. I can't look at them any longer. Why do we romanticize the dead? Why can't we be honest about them? Especially moms. They're the most romanticized of anyone. Moms are saints. Angels by merely existing. No one could possibly understand what it's like to be a mom. Men will never, never understand. Women with no children will never understand. No one but moms know the hardship of motherhood. And we non-moms must heap nothing but praise upon moms because we lowly, pitiful non-moms are mere peasants compared to the goddesses we call mothers. Maybe I feel this way now because I viewed my mom that way for so long. I had I had her up on a pedestal and I know how detrimental that pedestal was to my well-being and life. That pedestal kept me stuck, emotionally stunted, living in fear, dependent, and in a constant state of emotional pain, and without the tools to even identify that pain, let alone deal with it. 
My mom didn't deserve her pedestal. She was a narcissist. She refused to admit she had any problems, despite how destructive those problems were to our entire family. My mom emotionally, mentally, and physically abused me in ways that will forever impact me. She gave me breast and vaginal exams until I was 17 years old. These quote-unquote exams made my body stiff with discomfort. I felt violated, yet I had no voice, no ability to express that. I was conditioned to believe any boundary I wanted was a betrayal of her, so I stayed silent, cooperative. When I was six years old, she pushed me into a career I didn't want. I'm grateful for the financial stability that career has provided me, but not much else. I was not equipped to handle the entertainment industry and all of its competitiveness, rejection, stakes, harsh realities, fame. I needed that time, those years, to develop as a child, to form my identity, to grow. I could never get those years back. She taught me an eating disorder when I was 11 years old, an eating disorder that robbed me of my joy and any amount of free-spiritedness I had. She never told me my father was not my father. Her death left me with more questions than answers, more pain than healing, and many layers of grief. The initial grief from her passing, then the grief accepting her abuse and exploitation of me, and finally, the grief that services now, when I miss her and start to cry, because I do still miss her and start to cry. I miss her pep talks. Mom had a knack for finding just the right thing in a person to get them to light up and believe in themselves. I miss her childlike energy. Mom had an energy that could at times be so endearing, even captivating. I miss when she was happy. It didn't happen as often as I would have liked. It didn't happen as often as I tried to force it to happen. But when she was happy, it was infectious. Sometimes when I miss her, I start to fantasize about what life, what life would be like if she were still alive and imagine that maybe we'll have apologized and that we wept in each other's arms and promised each other we'd start fresh. Maybe she'd support me having my own identity, my own hopes and dreams and pursuits. But then I realized I'm just romanticizing the dead in the same way I wish everyone else wouldn't. Mom made it very clear she had no interest in changing. If she were still alive, she'd still be trying her best to manipulate me into being who she wants me to be. I'd still be purging or restricting or binging or some combination of all three, and she'd still be endorsing it. I'd still be forcing myself to act, miserably going through the motions performing on shiny sitcoms. How many times can you prep fall over a carpet or sell a line you don't believe in before your soul dies? There's a good chance I would have, been had, I would have had a complete and public mental breakdown by this point. I'd still be deeply unhappy and severely mentally unhealthy. I look at the words again. Brave, kind, loyal, sweet, loving, graceful. I shake my head. I don't cry. The Doobie Brothers' What a Fool Believes starts playing from the sad man's stereo. I stand up, wipe the dirt, wipe the dirt off my jeans, and walk away. I know I'm not coming back. And that's the end. And that is the end! And just that last bit... It's so, I think, empowering for her to mm-hmm. know that she doesn't have to go back to her mom's grave. Like, she she can do whatever she wants. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, her mom was a crappy person. Yeah. And she has every right to say whatever she wants about her mom because mm-hmm. her mom put her through such immense th- abuse. Her mom put her through hell and back. Yeah. And, you know, she says, I I. I realize I'm romanticizing the dead in the same way I wish everyone else wouldn't. Like, her mom wouldn't have changed. Like, I she, mean, she if, says that, but she's like, I, I know for a fact that she would not have changed. And I feel like, in a way, that I mean, this entire book, I guess, but also especially this last chapter, it kind of puts a T on the answer to this question that the title poses: of I'm glad my mom died. Well, when I ask, why are you glad that your mom died? And this is her answer because yeah. if her mom was still alive, she wouldn't have changed. Mm-mm. This is. 
she spells out what would have happened if her mom still was alive, what her life would look like. And you which know life for life would look like. a fact that's what would have happened. Exactly. And it also is another thing, like we've talked about with the industry of childhood actresses mm-hmm. or actors or whatever, and the amount of how common it is for them to have such a like extremely public mental breakdowns like she said that and that's a i believe that's a thousand percent what would have happened i agree we would have had another britney spirit we would have had another Lindsay lohan and it sucks because Mm -hmm. these are kids that were another um was it amanda bynes amanda bynes yeah who did i say all the ones you said were also correct what did i say i said Lindsay lohan Britney Spears. Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah. Amanda Bynes. That's the one I was thinking of as well. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't remember her name. But like, yeah, like that, that is so, and I think and because. It's, it's miraculous because too that Jeanette was able get, to claw her way out. Yeah. yeah. And claw her way back to, to healing. To and safety. I feel like women or like girls get much more pressure put on mm-hmm. them. Right. To look a very certain way that mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, it shows because you see a lot more women having yeah. these emotional you know mental breakdowns and you do men because there's such like you know it's all this that she's been put through yeah and i think part of it too i mean with women as well is that there is so much societal pressure in women to look a certain way mm-hmm. and also this kind of long-held societal belief that even if it isn't verbalized i think i still think it's communicated that women are ultimately how they look mm-hmm. like your worth as a woman or a girl or someone who's been presenting is determined almost entirely by how attractive men find you yeah it's, it's completely by your appearance um like it was funny because one of my co-workers was talking about he was like man i love the hood <laughs> and i was like okay and he was like you know it's just you go whatever he was like i like you know i grew up around it and all this other stuff and i was like i'm somebody not very comfortable and he was like ah you just gotta fit in or whatever yada yada and i was like true but you have never been catcalled mm, like yeah we have different experiences right of like yeah i can fit in but because of my, like i can try my best to fit in but because of my appearance mm-hmm. it's always going to be the most important thing I a lot of times <laughs> is it catcalling if i appreciate it I don't know. I think you appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll shout compliments at you. There There we we go. go. Um, But yeah, it's like. I was thinking about this the other day too. And like in terms of catcalling, like I got cat. I haven't been catcalled in years at this point, really. Like I'll be kind of harassed, I would say. But like not really like catcalled like I was when I was younger. And I mean, I'm 23. Younger. Like, I mean. It's child. (laughs) When I was like, I first started getting catcalled when I was like 11, 12. Yeah. Like I've been. I remember when I was 13, I um, I went to a high school uh, in a downtown area and I took the bus every day um, from school to, like a public bus uh, from school to my mom's office. I remember um, one time this guy pulled up in his car at the bus stop and was like, hey, get in, you know, like, I'll take you where you need to go. Like, honestly, I'm like, I'm 13. And he was like, oh shit, jailbait. And I'm like, how am I jailbait? Yes. That's on you. Like, that you were telling on yourself. I was just wearing leggings and a sweater. Like, I wasn't. Yeah. Because I know that, like, some people might be asking, like, well, what are you wearing? Leggings and a sweater. I and, was like, wearing... I had a jacket because it was snowing. <laughs> I was wearing, like, the plague doctor full <laughs> outfit covered with the mask with the beak. And I still was catcalled. <laughs> like, I was, there was no skin. Yeah. I didn't even have skin. Right. I was nothing in there. There was no there. skin showing. There was nothing. But it's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. 
Um, another thing about like you know romanticizing the dead something that really irritates me is when people say oh well don't speak ill of the dead no what are they gonna do what are they gonna do hot my ass bring it on bitch no because i don't want them to be like like she says put on this pedestal when they don't deserve it if they were a shitty person i'm gonna talk about how bad they were like there has there's no reason for me to not you know talk ill of the dead exactly I'll talk a little of the alive too. I don't care. Uh, these hands. I don't discriminate. Rated E for everyone. I got everybody. I'm <laughs> going after you, your mama, your grandma, your great grandma, your grandfather. I'm going to all of it. Your uncle. Everybody but your dog and your cat. Everybody but your dog and your cat because they are precious. I love them. I love them. Anyway. But yeah, so. I will say one thing that I do kind of, we kind of sped through this ending, but honestly, it's a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean. Um. You know, uh, and there are things we didn't discuss, but I was kind of curious as to how she kind of finally came to the realization of, you know, this foundation that she built up around her mom, how she ended up kind of tearing that down. And you rebuilding know? it. Yeah, and rebuilding it. I mean, we kind of got a little bit, I think, into, like, rebuilding to an extent, but, like, I'd be really curious about, like, how that was finally addressed for her in, like, a comfortable and safe way. Because we kind of saw how it went when Laura just tried to kind of dive right into it. But I'd be curious about how... You know, that sort I of I think happened. it was probably... I mean, honestly, I'm sure it was I gradual. Think it was with, I think it was with Jeff, probably. Probably Jeff and probably um, incremental as well. But yeah. I, I would just be kind of curious about that. But, I mean, that's I, not even really a critique. That's just uh, my own curiosity. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I really enjoy the end of this book. Um, especially because it's not wrapping it up all nice and pretty. Right. It's a... I don't ever want to come back to my mom's yeah. gravestone. She has not done good for me and i i'm i'm i have grief and i'm moving past that like she says it's like grief and relationships and life itself are all really messy and this yeah. book doesn't try to hide that no and life continues on exactly i'm mean, not saying obviously like, if you have loved ones that have passed to just mm-hmm. never visit their gravestone but like for her yeah it is crucial for her if she is going to you know continue growing in life mm-hmm. is to put that part of her life past her with her right. mom exactly um so yeah, that yeah. is the life and life thus story. Far. The, yeah, life thus far and story of Jeanette McCurdy. And the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. I the number one New York Times bestseller. Yeah, they always which, say that. Well, this one I feel like was at least it probably was. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this book. As did I. Um, I I find it fascinating and sad. And kind of heart wrenching, um, but I think it's a very good read. It's like you know, I think if people have similar experiences, then they could probably get a, a lot out of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I did, although all the obviously like a lot of my experience weren't similar, but I do have some experience of eating disorders, and yeah, you know, I I found really interesting, refreshing. I am... And also, like, not triggering to me. Yeah. I mean, it I, might be to you. Everyone's different. But to me, it was good. Um, but, yeah. I think... I thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For coming to this part two. Thank you. Thank you. Of this two-parter. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate it. We sure do. We do appreciate you, wordy birdies. Mm-hmm. And... A little wordy birdies. If you have any recommendations of books you'd like us to read and go through... We can sure... Sure do that. We can sure do that. Just we, send it on down to... We may be making a departure from books a little bit. Um, not a departure. Not a departure, just, right? We're expanding. A vacation. Okay, yeah. A vacation. Um, 
but Ex- I like expansion though. Expansion. expansion. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you have any book recommendations, you can send those to us at wordwordofficial at gmail.com. And if you like that teaser for what may come next, be sure to go ahead and subscribe to our Spotify. Yeah. You can find us at wordwordofficial on, on Instagram. Instagram and wordwordofficial at gmail.com if you have any recommendations, like we said. And then you can also go ahead and follow us on Spotify. And Apple Podcasts. At word, question mark, word, period. Yes. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcast, as long as it is those two. And only those two. And only those two. You can yeah. find us there. Um, so Aren't we so open and flexible to them? We're the most flexible. Oh my God. Y'all love us, right? Y'all should. You should. You should. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. See you later. See ya.